Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I break out the brooms to sweep up after 2014 with a two-and-a-half-hour episode covering issues 27 through 35 of Avengers, the pluses and minuses of Doctor Doom, whether Marvel has an equal to Superman, and whether Superman is himself an equal to Superman. The article title that will make Graham flip over the internet, our predictions for 2015, and much, much more. Speedy show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham Hinkmillan. Hooray! Hooray! Hey! Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Yes, my goodness. Uh, listeners, we are recording this uh, Boxing Day, as I call it, or the day after Christmas, as Americans call it, because Boxing Day doesn't exist in America. Well, I uh, call it Boxing Day. You do? I thought that was. I thought that wasn't a thing. Oh, it's not. It's totally because of you crazy Brits. I just like the term. Thanks. Yeah. It's a great term, right? Yeah. Um, the reason I was so excited was I was uh, Skyping with my family earlier on today. And it completely went to shit at the end. Did it? So the point where, like, all of us, because you make the joke of, you know, I sound like I have bees. Mm-hmm. At one point, my sister talked, and she, all of a sudden, she's. And I was just like, I, I can't. It sounds like you're talking with your mouth or your hand over your mouth. And then she goes, I was. <laughs> I see. So I think the conclusion I can draw from this is you've actually pulled bees into the room in the past when uh, I've thought that the sound recording quality has dropped. Well, what it is, is you remember Swarm, the uh, Amazing Spider-Man villain. I never forgot Swarm. Also, the champions. Don't forget, he fought the champions drawn by John Byrne. <laughs> don't, don't forget. Don't forget. The champions. That, that, was his, that was his time in the big leagues. It was. It was dude, come on. God, he a was a bunch of bees. The champions is your big league. He was a bunch of bees with bad fashion sense that used to be a former Nazi scientist. You know what I mean? Like, Which, but that's the thing. You put it like that, and you're like, "That's a great idea." I know. Tell me about Swarm. it. Swarm, come on, everyone! <laughs> and he's even got like the name sounds good. Yeah, Swarm. The only way it could sound better is if he had a definitive article, like the Swarm. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is my theory: is is that they basically got the title by just use it, ripping off the, that the film scene, Irwin Allen movie, which I yeah. think was called was the, the Swarm. Swarm. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. So, and they're like, "Well, we can't use the the." Yeah, exactly. Now, now, then it'll be obvious. Because <laughs> clearly, Swarm is going to be the Marvel breakout villain of all time, and he's going to wouldn't have Wouldn't that have been great book. if he was? Oh, wouldn't it? Just think if Swarm had ended up being like the new Doctor Doom, and everyone was just like, you know, by the 90s, we were still tired. You were so tired of him. but they Exactly. Kept, you They're know. like, they keep breaking up. Like, Swarm would be what Ultron is today. Yes, yeah. You know, where all of you get, like, you know, Avengers, Rage of Swarm. Exactly. Exactly. The time of Swarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enter and everyone's like, oh, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm sick of Swarm. Mm-hmm. So how many times can you try and make a Nazi who's turned into bees exciting? It's a played <laughs> no, out concept. No, no, exactly. It's not how many times. It's like, it's played out. Like, you've taken the world's most brilliant idea, Nazi bees, and you've played it out. You know, because that's the thing. Everyone thinks, like, Ven- this is one of the things I love about Venom. There are people who still think that Venom is a perfectly good villain. You know what I mean? And that's 
awesome. The but, great uh, thing well, about they're wrong. They're, but, of you know, course they're wrong. But that's what I'm saying. Like you know, like. I always love, like, that God blessed them for, like, trying to, to, like, revamp the shit of the Fantastic Four for this upcoming movie. I mean, it's still going to tank hugely, I don't doubt. But, oh, my God, like, when you look at the Fantastic Four, all the stuff that I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. You're like, wait a minute. Like, Doctor Doom, who is absolutely, I am convinced, like, one of the greatest superhero hero villains of all time is ludicrous when you sort of take him outside of his context. He might as well be Nazi bees. uh, You know what I mean? He isn't. isn't. See, here's the thing. Sure, it's ludicrous uh, when you take all the trappings that he has. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you you go, well, you know, he's a ruler of a fictitious European country. He wears a suit of armor and a green cloak, and he's surrounded by robots of himself that he calls Doombots. Yes. Sure. But if you just look at it as he's a despotic ruler of an Eastern European country that is shut away from the rest of the world. And he is a genius who is also weirdly interested in magic. You can do things with that. Sure. Oh, you and, can do And also, sure, especially, exactly. that's so much stronger concept than he's a hacker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, well, but it, it's, it's not just... Well, okay. That it's not just, you know, well, if you look at Dr. Doom in the comics, it's a bit ludicrous. It's also, you then didn't do anything to make it better. You made it worse. Oh, yeah. Well, no, because, I mean, I think there's that thing of, like, I mean, you've got to figure out a way that his... I mean, that's the other thing, is is his impressively inappropriate bond with Reed Richards. You always have to... That That's kind of... It, one of the geniuses of the Fantastic Four is that they had four issues without Doctor Doom before they brought him in. And then when they did, you know what I mean? Like he's so retcon. You couldn't pull the Doctor Doom swipe in regular movies or regular anything today, which well, is part I, of the I, reason I, why they have to jam him in there at the beginning. Oh, I, I totally think you could. Uh, I don't know. I, I totally think you could. You couldn't if your retcon was Doctor Doom caused the Fantastic Four's origin. But just saying he's this guy who one of the characters knew in school and who ended up obsessed with one of the characters. I think you can pull that whenever. I don't know. I don't, I don't I think, think that needs so. to be in the origin. I mean, a little bit, but mm, I don't know. I just I just think that that's – it's just a weird uh, – particularly when you throw in the despotic ruler angle. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like oh, yeah, this guy who had a, was kind of fixated on me back in college who happened to be the ruler of his own country. <laughs> yeah, who just happened happened. To... Well, that's, that's the real problem with the Doctor Doom concept that, you know, he was in college with me in America and then he just happened to be the ruler of an Eastern European country. I know. I know. I know. And yet, and yet you, know, you can almost buy it. I can almost buy that. Oh, I think. no. See, I, I totally can't because my question with that is always who's ruling Latveria at that point? Oh, okay. Well, admittedly. Well, Doombots, clearly. I mean, before they got the suits on, I guess. Well, uh, Doombots that he also built when he was a teenager. Well, yeah. You know, like, okay, it, it, well, I, well, it totally falls apart. If if it were up to me, if, let's say, Marvel was rebooting in 2015, mm-hmm. let's say, um, I would, like, that would be the part of Doctor Room I'd get rid of. I'd get rid of the, the college roommate thing entirely. Mm-hmm. Because while I totally get the Superboy-esque element of Reed Richards is responsible for the accident that caused him to wear the mask. Mm-hmm. I think the whole college roommate thing is 
like a bad joke. It's I, the I, best I, bad joke, though. I mean, because oh, oh, admittedly, because then you also get all the, you know, and he was also roommates with Ben Grimm, <laughs> and, and that's the part where it just gets ridiculous. It's like, you know, sure, and down the hall was also Bruce Banner, oh, and man, then I know. You know well, let's face it: the Marvel universe, the, particularly the cinematic universe, is trying to do that anyway, which is sort of frustrating. But I, I don't know. I, I for me, I'm like, if you were, if you're rebooting the comic or whatever, I. I personally think, because I don't know, Graham, didn't you have weird college roommates? You must have, right? Oh, oh, I did. And I, if it wasn't for the fact that I'd be worried that one of them would track me down as soon as I said his name, I'd say the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. I had a guy who actually threatened to kill me, you know, like my first semester of college. And I'm like... Oh, I, I had a guy who threatened to kill me after college. Oh my like God. the weirdest fucking phone call ever where you're like, I think that's a joke. If it's not a joke, I'm really, really, really scared. <laughs> okay. See, Graham, this is what I'm saying. This is actually the most universal aspect no, no, of Doctor Doom. Oh, no. Like, yeah. I, to- I totally see what you're saying. I mm-hmm. genuinely see what you're saying. But I think that only works if I think for the, you to do that and then be like, Andy's a ruler of an Eastern European country. <laughs> Andy's a genius. Andy knows magic. Yeah. Andy, so, no, it's true. But see, but like, that's, yeah. Oh, but I like all the other things enough. For example, I like Doctor Doom when he's not with Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the, he has to have this intense personal connection with the superhero part is is the least important part for me of Doctor Doom. Well, so I would rather, if I was uh, cutting something out, that's right. the part he cut out. Right. I, I can sort of see that. I guess I guess that is true. I could I could almost see cutting it as long as you keep the other stuff to me, which is interesting about Doctor Doom, which is the I, I kind of like there was that period there where everyone went back and forth on it and I think John Byrne was, was pretty definitive on trying to, to restructure Doom uh to make him be like sort of a bad ruler, but I was kind of really fixated with doom during, there was a period where it was clear that he was like a shit. And yet the idea that a lot of people in his country actually preferred him to the alternatives. Oh, you know what I mean? I, I love that element of him. That's one I, of my favorite elements. So, I mean, yes, of course I, I love the idea that, uh, not that he's like a tragic hero or whatever, but I love the idea that, he genuinely not that he's a good ruler but he's genuinely loved by his people well and i think it goes that goes both ways like i mean it's yeah that there are people who genuinely love him i actually would dig the idea that you know kind of i mean this is the thing that's amazing is really i mean you know to look at to look at the interview to you know between kim jong un and vladimir putin like there's never been like a more prescient time for the disquieting foreign ruler who is you know may actually be loved by the people who look suspiciously oppressed you know yeah no exactly you can you could do great things with dr doom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just as a character totally separate from the fantastic four so you're you're saying like reboot doom in 2015 just just uh no i i I would reboot him with the fantastic four i see but I think that you can actually play Doctor Doom relatively straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, and, and get rid of... Get rid of the sort of Venture Brothers angle to him? Well, yeah, because that's just it. The college roommate thing does seem like a comedy angle to me. <laughs> it's true. God help me, you're right. I would hate to lose it, but it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good, though, I have to say. There is just something where it's just, I don't know, I just... 
Seriously, if someone, if like Marvel asked me like what series I wanted to write, it would totally be the adventures of those guys in college. You know, the two semesters before it all oh, went wrong. No, that would be the best. No, oh no, my god, that would be so good. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, it probably would be. Although you remember, or maybe you don't, when uh, Marvel was doing Epic, the, the you know, why doesn't everyone give us an idea for Epic for free thing? You <laughs> right. remember what Matt Maxwell and I came up with? It was either at, around Epic or just after Epic. Mm, the, I don't think Doctor, I've heard Doctor Doom MD. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it, yeah, so the idea was that through, like, it would start with, like, a big mystical battle. Like, Doctor Doom doing his whole, like, ah, you know, ah, fuck you, I'm as good as Doctor Strange thing. But would end up with him essentially being banished to hell uh-huh. as a result. But his hell would be that he would become a doctor in the Latverian part of New York. The Latvian district, New York, but no one would know he's Doctor Doom. Everyone would see him as someone else. Right, right. And it would like he just have to like it would be he has to deal with like the most mundane right medical ailments right. of exactly. these people yeah. who are also at the same time giving Doctor Doom shit, not right. knowing that they're talking to Doctor Doom, and yeah. he just has to take it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, okay, so here's the thing. Why, you really think the magic's a good angle? Because I've never been a fan of that. Uh, angle, I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure the magic is a great angle, but mm. I love the idea. Part of it is I really like the Wade story uh, where he basically just fucked Mr. Mm. Fantastic by going, you're so smart, that's great. I know magic, you don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I really like that. Mm. I, I didn't actually like the resolution. Because mm-hmm. the resolution got a bit too much into the woo woo, and then love solves everything. Um, but as a as a way of, it seemed appropriately dickish for Doom, I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be like, "Oh, you think you're so smart? Okay, well, there's one thing I know that you definitely don't know, and I'm going to use that to fuck up your life." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I really do appreciate the the magic part of Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of came in late. It's just, it's always rung a bad, it's always sat poorly with me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, uh, like, I don't know. Like, there's just <laughs> too many magical doctors in the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? Like, there's just way too many magical doctors between uh, Doctor okay. Strange, there's Doctor Dr. Doom, and Dr. then Doctor Voodoo. Dr. Voodoo. Uh, wait, Doctor Voodoo? He was originally yeah. Brother Voodoo, but then he became Yeah, but he, he became, like, he got rebooted as Doctor Voodoo. Right. Exactly. So it's always magical doctors. Don Blake, who's like a Norse god, you know, basically. You know, it's just it's it's a little too worshipful of doctors. You know what I mean? Like way too many people spent well, <laughs> hearing from their it's, parents. It's wait, maybe in the maybe when Marvel Universe wasn't full of dicks. Sure. <laughs> well, I. I I've said this before on the podcast and off the podcast. Um, at some point, Marvel went from worshipping science, mm-hmm. like worshipping scientists, mm-hmm. to anyone who's a genius must inherently be a sociopath. Yeah, but that's... Yes, absolutely. But I just feel like that's Marvel very cynic, either very cynically or very blindly 
sticking to the zeitgeist. I mean, there used to be. Oh, a- no, I, 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 I think that's definitely possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, the other thing I was going to say is, at some point, I think it was this week when I was, I was writing something for Hollywood Reporter, I realized that Marvel doesn't have Captain America used to be Marvel's Superman, mm-hmm. and I feel that he doesn't play that role anymore. Uh, and I feel that Marvel doesn't have that kind of aspirational hero anymore. Uh, and and kind of, I mean, uh, sort of. I mean, right? Okay. I I, I no, see what I, you're I, saying. I, I'm asking. Do they? I mean, they have uh, they have aspirational heroes in a different way. I think you have your Spider Man, you have your Ms. Marvels, which are uh, they're just like you, and mm-hmm. they're trying their best in this wacky world, right? But I don't think they have a moral force for good. And I think that part of that is, you know, the classic Marvel, they're just like you appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, heroes heroes outside your window or whatever the phrase was. Right. I say it wasn't heroes outside your window. That sounds creepy. <laughs> heroes, heroes outside your right window. Outside your window. Look looking at, look in look right with now. binoculars. Exactly. Um, but... I don't know. I feel there's something lacking or there's something about that. There's something about the lack of that sort of a hero that is just inherently good for the sake of being good. And I don't know. I do think that's Captain America. I just think that, I mean, how much anyone really is interested in that. I mean, that's the problem with DC, isn't it too? I mean, you've got Superman and most of the time people are kind of like, eh, but Superman, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's yes. And no, I think this is, I think this has been a really fascinating year, uh, for Superman mm-hmm. in that between the Greg Pak run on action mm-hmm. and Jeff Johns taking over Superman, mm-hmm. the character has gone from being, a very Marvel take on Superman mm-hmm. to going back to a traditionally DC take on Superman. Mm-hmm. And part of that is mo- purposely moving away from, you know, he's got all the powers of Superman, but, she, you know, he can't get his life in order mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to this dude's this just on top of his shit and he has to deal with ridiculous epic adventures. Right. And I think Pac is definitely exploring uh, Superman gets his shit in order. Mm-hmm. I think Jeff Johns is unable to write any other Superman than he already has his shit in order, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Jeff Johns just defaults to, well, he's Superman. Right. Of course. Yeah. The end. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what do you mean there's a story there? No, he's Superman. Right. Um, and I think Pac is actually doing a great job of he has all this power and he doesn't quite know what to do with it mm-hmm. but in his heart he he is trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um without doing the spider-man or the miss marvel or, or the the marvel roots which i feel involves much more trial and error mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also much more you can't win for losing right yeah they're, they're which I, I think it's very marvel i think yeah. marvel is very much the sure he means well but mm-hmm. oh shit! Right. He just shot at me in the face. <laughs> you know, he stopped the Green Goblin. 
but at the cost of losing his legs. <laughs> and Uncle Ben's back from the dead and then died again because he wasn't there to meet him at the diner. You were so close to doing like a Scottish Professor Frink from The Simpsons. It was kind of delightful. <laughs> so uh, losing his legs and then with the, the flavin'. So. Um, I, I don't know whether I should lean into that or be <laughs> I kind of hope know. you should. I Please do. Please, please. I don't know. I, uh, I, I see. This is my thing. I'm like, sure, yeah, they've gotten back to a traditional Superman, and who knows? Maybe people are even reading it. I don't know. You know, it's like I have to say, I bought like the last five people. issues of Superman, and I don't even feel like I'm reading Superman. Right? Technically, I'm reading Superman, but I mean, you know, it's true. May, are, is, is wait, wait, no, 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 no. Unpack that. You mean you're reading the comic, but it doesn't feel like a Superman comic? No, I'm I'm reading the comic, but I kind of. I'm not really getting what I want out of the comic yet, and it may not ever technically arrive, kind of. You know, it's kind of a... You know what I mean? Like, I I guess what I'm saying is, is that, like, sure, people are... They're doing that super, the aspirational Superman comic, but isn't Superman really just back to selling in his Superman doldrums, or am I mistaken on that? And action is... I I, I think it's... uh, I think it's selling better than... Than it did before. Before the Scott, new 52? Back when Scott Lobdell was... Well, no, back when Scott Lobdell was doing his very um, Scott Lobdelliest on the title. <laughs> did you read any of the Scott Lobdell run? No, no. I oh, just remember you telling oh, me about it from uh, time to time. And being Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing to see Lobdell and some other writers who, in my mind, are very much like Marvel and the 1990s writers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, working on the DC characters. And the result is the most generic comic. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's lacking... <laughs> it's lacking everything. Right. <laughs> it's lacking the the personality of the 1990s Marvel work. Mm-hmm. And also somehow missing the point entirely of all, of all the appeal of the DC character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with just... You know, they're wearing the costumes and right. they have the names. Yeah. But every character is entirely interchangeable. Yeah. 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 Kind of that feeling when you're like reading like, I don't know, the the Charlton revival characters, you know, like whenever they get revived and it's like, wow, the adventures of the shield or whatever. And it's just kind of, kind of dull again. You know what I mean? At least that's my feeling. Maybe you're going to tell me about some really awesome Charlton reboots, but but generally it's always Pax like... Americana, Jeff. What's Pax that? Americano. Pax Americano is a pretty damn good Charlton reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, Graham. That does not technically count. <laughs> that's all they've done, though, isn't it? No, they had the... They, well, I guess there's the... I guess there was the end of the 80s, mid-80s thing where both the question oh, yeah, and yeah, Blue the, Beetle. The question is Blue Beetle, yeah. Yeah. But uh, didn't well, they Beetle. try to reboot the other characters and they lasted all of like six issues or something? Or am I wrong? Um, well, Nightshade definitely went... Well, Captain Atom. He had, a, he had a series that ran for ages. Right. Exactly. Um, and Nightshade was in Suicide Squad for a while. Right. Which worked out pretty well. But And they, they I think they did do some sort of Peacemaker... Series. They did, and they also did. uh, Oh God, they did a a team book in the nineties called The Law. Oh right, remember that was like Bob Layton. Am I imagining that? (laughs) Was it Bob Layton? 
Uh, it was Dick Giordano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say Bob Layton is involved somewhere. Might be. The only reason why that rings a bell is I think David Uzumere, like dropped a reference to them in the Pax Americana uh, Yeah, because annotations. they definitely make a reference in that. Okay, it was 1999, apparently. Wow! Okay, Graham. Uh, and difference. it was the law. A law is an acronym that stands for Living Assault Weapons. Right. And it was written and inked by Bob Layton. Wow. With pencils by Dick Giordano. Yeah, wow, by Giordano. That must have been a really interesting looking book. Oh, no. and, yeah, by interesting, do you mean a terrible, terrible fit for both? <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, that's that's not a good look. And it starred Blue Beetle, Captain Atom, Judo Master, because, you know, it's never a German revival without Judo Master, oh, Nightshade, Peacemaker, The Question, and Sarge Steel. Sarge Steel. Sarge. I remember Sarge Steel was in my, I, I think I've said this before, my I've Decided I Am a DC Fan book mm-hmm. was Legends Issue 1. Mm, right, right. And Sarge Steel is in, maybe not the first issue, but he's in, like, a really early issue of the Legends miniseries. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he has a very, like, dramatic opening. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, introduction. Right. Like, he, he has a showdown with the Flash and with Changeling from the, the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a big panel of him holding up his robotic hands and saying something like, you know, if my name's not Sarge Steel, then, you know... <laughs> You guys, um, and I remember <laughs> I must have been like eleven or twelve when that comic came out. Uh-huh. And before this, you know, the Justice League were there, and I was like, the "Justice League!" Mm-hmm. And Firestorm's there, and I'm like, "Who the fuck is Firestorm? He's awesome, Firestorm!" Right? And like, Flash, Flash! I searched it like, "What the hell is Sarge Steel? <laughs> he looks ridiculous. His name is Sarge Steel. What? Oh God!" And and yet. And yet, clearly, out of all the characters that you named, who's the most likely to have popped up with absolutely no detail changed in 2000 AD? Sarge Steel. Sarge Steel is such a 2000 <laughs> AD character that he just screams like, he's the man with the iron mitts. Blimey! Sarge Steel. You know, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> It's oh, totally man. ridiculous. Like he was like one of those type, you know, those characters that that they dragged in from action or or uh, their sci-fi title. That no, oh, God, he, wouldn't he be great in action? Yeah, he would be great. He'd be like he'd be punching sharks. You know that. <laughs> See, like he'd, he'd be in the Bahamas with you know a terrible yeah swimming costume or something on, and they'd be like, "There's something going on in the water," and he'd be like, "No," and he'd just run in and like punch a shark. Exactly, exactly. They're like, the Russian mafia is going to throw this, you know, snooker match. Not if Sarge Steel has anything to say. Sarge Steel in Iron Ringer. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> so oh, so oh. it is kind of ironic that that's the guy that you're like, really? Sarge Steel? That seems a little... Uh-huh, yeah. Give me the green kid who turns into green animals. You know, and I, which I, actually I'm down with, but exactly when you put it like that, you're like actually, <laughs> it's all love. I mean, that's the thing about DC is DC shit was ridiculous, and at a certain point, that became such a big selling point. You know, I mean, even without like, it was one thing when you had Alan Moore, and for people like me, it was like, oh my god, he's going to take a character and do it well, and oh my god. You know, I can't believe that, you know, the demon's like this creepy character for the first time ever, you know, but, but at some point you're just like, 
holy shit, these guys have sugar and spike. Like, you know, it's just waiting in somebody's, you know, back pocket to break out. Like, patow, angel and the ape, you know? And that's well, just that there's, like, the DC back catalog is fucking amazing. Like, it goes on it, for it, Exactly. It is so deep. And yeah. when you think about all the things that have never been revived, mm-hmm. like the strips from, like, Action Comics 1. Mm. Oh God, that's really. You know what I mean? Like, there. no, but th- there is. There's so there is stuff that has never fucking been touched on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or even stuff that has, and you just don't remember. Yeah. I got uh, on the last time they did a fifty percent off sale uh, at Excalibur. I picked up the hundredth issue of Showcase. Oh God, I had that issue and I adored it. Yeah, because it's it's every character who appeared in Showcase. Showcase up to that point, yeah, totally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing because yeah. they've got like – I'm trying to see if I can find it. But of course, because I'm talking on the phone with you right now. It's totally I, great. I it ends it. up being like Lois Lane and Dolphin saving like the entire universe as yes! they like crawl yes! through their radioactive satellite. Yep. Yeah. You remember that book really fucking well. Dude, I tell you, that, that book like knocked my socks off when okay, I had here, it. Okay, here are the list of characters. There are 59 – sorry, 60 uh, – Characters and our teams. Oh man, I see this okay. is where this is where I should try and name them. <laughs> okay, there is Green Lantern. Yes. The Flash. Right. Hawk and Dove. Yes. Rip Hunter Time Master. Mm-hmm. And Rip Hunter's team, Bonnie, Corky, and Jeff. Yes. The Metal Men. Yep. The Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. The Atom. Mm-hmm. Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Adam Strange. Right. Johnny Thunder, the Western Johnny Thunder. Uh, Anthro, mm-hmm. Sergeant Rock, mm-hmm. and then it starts getting crazy. Fireman Farrell. Yeah. The Fireman uh, guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. From the very first issue of Showcase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Enemy Ace. Mm-hmm. Nightmaster. Wow. Which was uh, a man named Jim Rook until Showcase 82 sent him flying into an alien dimension where magic rules. There we go. Jason of Jason's Quest. Mm-hmm. But do you remember Jason's Quest? The, n- n- only he's, from he's the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy like motorcycles around trying to find his sister in like a post-apocalyptic world. Oh shit, that sounds fantastic! I completely forgot about that. Wow. Yes. Um, Lois Lane, the right. Creeper, Challengers mm-hmm. of the Unknown. Yep. Space Ranger and Cyril. Okay, I was going to say Space Ranger. I couldn't remember his name, but his his stupid yellow unitard spacesuit and and fishbowl helmet are awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, Windy and Willy. Who are redrawn versions of the Dobie Gillis book they did. Wow. Who it says here was uh, recycled to fill in a gap in Showcase 81. Mm-hmm. Batlash. Mm-hmm. Angel and the Ape. Yeah. Firehair. Oh, right. Was he's a like white a Viking, raised... isn't he? No, he's a white boy raised by the Native Americans. Oh, of course. Right. right, right, right. Tommy Tomorrow of the Planeteers. Yes, Tommy Tomorrow, man. The Inferior Five. <laughs> Binky, who was their cut rate Archie. Yep. Uh, the Sea Devils. Yes. Dolphin. Yep. King Faraday. And here's the sad thing. I didn't get King Faraday's pun until New Frontier. Oh, King Faraday. I never got that. Yeah, oh I God. never got that. <laughs> I don't feel so bad now that you didn't get it until I literally just Yes, and I'm actually older than you, and it was even later. Thank you for explaining that. I, I have to go now, Graham. <laughs> um, Manhunter 2070. Oh, yeah. It was one of DC's many Manhunter characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Double. Yes. 
who's the detective way before uh, Azarello and Rizzo resurrected him. Yeah. Uh, the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that an amazing lineup? Yeah. And I forget, is it Levitz or Cooperberg who writes the issue? Uh, it's both. Oh, okay. That's why I'm confused. But they, they did a they, great job sort of getting and, everybody and Joe in there. Staten, uh, draws it. Yeah. Draws it and throws in every is very dutiful about throwing everyone in there. Yeah, that's a book. Let me oh, tell it's you. it's it's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so good and it's very much um, of the DC crisis, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like there, there's a ramping up of a threat, which nonetheless never feels particularly tangible. Yes. Which I think I think that's what DC's event books do. I think that's what a lot of DC does. I swear to God, like if we were to follow up this Avengers run with like a Justice League, you know, read of the first three hundred issues, it's amazing how many times there are kind of they're they're called in because there's an amorphous threat that they're able to eventually figure out is like somebody kind of vaguely disappointing and but less amorphous you know what i mean yeah and it's and it's always it sounds weird to say the justice league are met by a lot of existential threats and they're never really framed as existential threats no no that's the amazing thing about dc it it will always come down to oh that's not true always but definitely during the gardener fox it will probably come down to a scientist who you could pretty much lock up after you've switched off his machine oh yeah exactly Exactly. But yeah. for the first 10 pages of the book, he's completely immortal and and able or, to or like... Or he doesn't exist and there is, you know, some yeah. impossible thing that is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's what I actually love about the really early Justice Leagues. Mm. That it is... It's magical thinking as a comic. It, it, it is, really is magical it is, thinking. Because it is yeah. always... This impossible thing is happening. How can it happen? And the answer is almost always... It's a magic or it's a machine. Yes. And we're not going to explain how they're doing it. It's just magic or a machine, okay? I just, I love... And we're moving on. I love one of the things about about DC Comics from that time is because they actually know some hard science facts, you make the mistake of thinking, especially when you're young and impressionable, that they're science-based stories, when clearly they're just not. Like, they're complete crazy ass whimsy that is always tied to the fact that someone knows that like i don't know tweed has a higher thread count than you know fucking polyester and that's how they're able to defeat him you know what i mean it's like oh thanks because i know that the you know visible light spectrum means that blue follows yellow all i have to do is cycle my speed faster and green lantern can now use his ring exactly, yeah. actually i think I, that happens in showcase that is showcase 100 now that i think I, about I, it. I, if, if it doesn't happen there it's definitely happened in other stories mm-hmm. but the other thing i love about early justice league is also someone clearly never told gardner fox like the rules of the characters individual strips mm-hmm. oh god yeah and so you have green lantern doing like fucking everything yeah Someone yeah. just went, he's got a magic wishing ring. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay, I can write a magic wishing ring. Yeah. But, he, like, it's – so in Green Lantern's strip, mm-hmm. that it really is, you know, he is powerless against Yellow. Mm-hmm. And they play that up, you know, in almost every way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wearing a silver outfit, but the sun's hitting it, so it looks yellow. Oh, shit. I can't do anything about that. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm running away in my truck, but I painted it yellow. Oh, crap. I can't lift it up. <laughs> 
and, and, and Justice League, like, not only would he be like, okay, but look, I've just repainted it blue. He'd be like, I've repainted it blue, and by the way, I've also built you a magic jail that will last forever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, he really does. There's a couple of them. I mean, that's even more, like accurate as far as green lantern goes as towards the end of things where he's like don't worry my you know my power ring has forced you all to forget about the events of the last 24 hours our secret identities are safe again and it's like wait what the fuck how are you able to do that <laughs> exactly can, can you do that <laughs> exactly he always been able to hide that if he'd done that before then that would because it's pretty much you know I, how did you beat Grodd this time, Green Lantern? Well, I just reversed evolution. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? You exactly. reverse evolution now? And he's like, I can't this issue. Don't, don't ask Ned's issue. When that fucking giant crocodile comes up, don't remind me that I've just done that. Cause that, you know, then I'll finish on page two. No. It's a yellow giant crocodile. Oh crap. <laughs> Looks like I'm gonna get slapped around for about 18 days. Exactly. Oh no, what am I gonna do now? Oh, he's magic as well. Superman, you're shit out of luck as well. Oh, I know. I saw fire. Martian Manhunter, you're sh- oh god. I hope Batman comes around with a really strong net. <laughs> Oh no, but it always has that weird like there it always was a net and then there was always like they always had the net reverso. There was nothing that Gardner Fox loved more than Batman sitting under his own net going like fucking fuck. That would, it'd also be like it'd be something really big and Batman would be like, I've got the net and then because you have to give Hawkman something to do. Oh yeah. Hawkman would be like, I'll drop it from him from above. <laughs> Hawkman exists for two reasons. One, to drop something on someone from above, or two, to hit something with his mace. Okay, I think, Graham, you're conflating two different Justice League eras there, because as far as I can tell, (laughs) the issues I remember, Hawkman was good for only two things, which was dropping a net on someone from above, and two, getting an update from birds, you know? (laughs) Like that was it was always like no no he didn't do that in Justice League he only did that in his own series really I always felt yeah, like it I, was because he'd whistle at them yeah yeah he'd be like what's going on tweet 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 okay <laughs> the, the sparrow just told me and you'd be like what <laughs> I can't I can't take Hawkman seriously right now. <laughs> It would be great to reboot Hawkman as a character who believes that he can speak to birds, but really cannot. And so he's always, like, coming out. This this bird told me I need a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) This bird said, if you, if you, can I just stay over? Because, you know, I can't go home in this condition. Uh, Exactly. And he he said, he said, you guys might have some ice cream. (laughs) I I don't know. Is that that true? (laughs) Is this sparrow lying to me? Don't make this sparrow into a liar. You Come guys. on, you guys. This sparrow's a straight shooter. I know you've got the fucking ice cream. Don't make me hit you with this mace and or drop a net over you. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that's, that's before Gardner Fox leaves. And mm-hmm. Danny O'Neill slash all the other writers come in. And they're like, I've got something else for Hogman to do. He can argue with Green Arrow. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it. let's face it, that did both give them something to do for, like, a long stretch of time. And I don't, but, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, because they actually wrote Green Arrow out super quickly after that. Right. And then he didn't leave the book, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> he, he quits, like, 
relatively early, like a hundred and something, like right. definitely in the early hundreds. Yes. And but because he's going out with Black Canary, mm-hmm. actually no, he leaves before that. He leaves in the sixties because he leaves just after Black Canary gets to Earth Two, Earth mm-hmm. One rather. Right. And then he just fucking stays in the book. <laughs> So I was like, wait, is, is he part of the team? And you're like, he's pretty much part of the team. Right. Like, right. He's, he's on as many fucking adventures as Superman. So he, he's got to be part of the team, right? And he's right. like, no, you guys, you, are you recycling? You're not recycling. I'm not part of the Justice League. Why don't you hire Black, Li- Black Lightning? You, Black Lightning doesn't want to join? You guys are racists. I'm not going to join the Justice League. I'm going to hang out with you all the time. I, I got to go on your adventures, but. I, Green Arrow is like the biggest like liberal like he's he's straw man of like you know it's not until you get like I don't know forced Gump's girlfriend that you get like a worse example of the counterculture <laughs> exactly. in action. You get someone that you're like wow Green Lantern looks goodness of this person. Yeah, totally. Like always, Green Green Arrow is always like what you know. It's like hey, I'm a, you know a hip happening guy and yet I'm always going to be shown to be an ass clown in every issue like an inconsiderate just awful person it is, yeah Green Arrow is kind of fucked though because at some point they're like Green Arrow is the liberal firebrand mm-hmm. however we're DC and we are an inherently conservative company exactly exactly we so force everyone make here all, he'll make all the right noises mm-hmm. but the only time anyone will agree with him is when he says something so blindingly obvious yeah right you know he'll be like hey you know what I think you guys I think that black guys are as good as white guys and everyone else is like well yes yeah yeah come on and it's like score one for the arrow <laughs> Because otherwise, it's just, you know, because it doesn't, it's not even, because Marvel in the 70s had, uh, you had Gerber and you had Englehart, mm-hmm. and you had them writing about environmental issues, and you had yeah. them writing about, you know, actual things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but DC never, never did that. <laughs> never even got there. So you would have, like, Green Arrow would be like, you guys, are, you don't, guys don't care about the real problems, like litter. Yeah, oh, well, see, that's it. That's the thing, is, is like, they always... They, they all, because DC was all, somehow just they could not replicate the formula. I did love the way that um, that the over earnest uh, Gary Friedrich. Uh, oh my god, the issues are yeah. fucking awesome. Because they, oh, they're they're they honestly make Danny O'Neill look like you know the, the guy who was holding back. Yes. Well, because because in a way they were he was like, Yeah, I'm taking Denny O'Neill's example. I wanna do the stuff that Marvel has, but I really wanna speak to it in like the language that the readers of Jonathan Livingston Siegel will really, you know, feel for. And it's it's pretty awesome. So I mean, it is like they are just every issue like the Justice League is just torn up by the prospect of global litter. You know what I mean? It really is. Or or racism. Like racism yeah. is the one time they actually do address something that is real. Yeah. But it's so I, it's, here's the, it's it's here's such a the crazy, absurd hypothetical situation. Well, but that I was gonna say that and then I was like, but at the same time it's not. Because think like, you know, we we say that like racism doesn't exist in America today. Forty years later, right? Exactly, right. You know, so on the one hand, it is self evident when you have you know Green Arrow being like, "Hey, 
maybe you guys shouldn't just help out the white guys. You know, we're like, well, of course. Right. That's, that's fucking ridiculous. But at the same time, this is us being, you know, liberal elitists, mm-hmm. Jeff. Yes. Because let's face it, there possibly were people reading that at the time and being like, oh shit, he's onto something. <laughs> no, no, but really, yeah, yeah, seriously. No, 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 absolutely. I agree. I guess that's my thing is, is like, Don't I remember... Don't you just eat your Christmas chocolate and laugh at me? Maybe I did, but um, I needed the energy, Graham, because you were just being too uh, remarkably amusing. But... <laughs> I am weirdly upbeat today, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's kind of exhausting. I need some artificial energy here. I, I just think that, like... Like, wasn't there some Gary Friedrich story where it is, like, a, a dude who's, like, a black guy who, you know, they're, like, they're persecuting. Oh, he's, he's, and yeah, but uh, doesn't he bring, like, peace when he sings? Am, see, I, am I, I thinking I, of a different issue? No, 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 no. It's definitely he's got his, like, magical guitar that, yeah. can, that can control crowds. But I think that's yes. it. Is, like, it's sort of, like... You know, I mean, he's basically capable of inciting like huge riots, and 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 it's kind of that weird like you don't know who he is, you don't know what he wants, and Green Lantern's like screw you, Green Arrow's like screw you guys for being suspicious, and it's like wouldn't we be suspicious of anyone in this situation though? I mean, that was always my thing is is that they always loaded. It's like that oh, amazing. You, 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 you always had to push Green Arrow into a position that was actually untenable. Yeah, exactly. Or, or give him something that really was like entirely noxious. You you could you had no right. choice. It was right. one or the other. Right. You, you could never have him take a defendable yet controversial position. No, no, absolutely not. It was all, it was always going to be him like making a big stand up for like bicycle stands, you know, or something. <laughs> oh my god. Green Arrow in Portland is something that Oh my god, that does. It sells itself, doesn't it? Yeah. That that's that's your best. Come on, people. That's your digital series for, for 2015. <laughs> well, yeah. Graham McMillan, I don't even think we know what Green Arrow is doing these days. Isn't he like now what? a successful What are you TV talking show? about? Are you following the Green Arrow comic book? Oh, or religiously, I, I love Arrow and Green Arrow so much. Me, I can't get enough. Uh, I, ca- I can tell you that his comic has just been taken over by the guys who write the, the TV show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's like one of those stealth reboots to get it a bit closer to the, the TV version, which is significantly more popular than the comic version. Oh, yeah. It's really sig- – well, so that's kind of my thing is it's ironic that we're making all these jokes about Green Arrow. He's technically – the most popular that he's been. In fact, the weird thing about Green Arrow is how often he's been popular. You know what I mean? Like he. Has, oh yeah, you know. I, I I I wrote about this for the Hollywood Reporter this year. Oh, did um, you? But yeah, no. But he is Green Arrow and Aquaman. Mm-hmm. For all the jokes we make about Aquaman, Aquaman has been remarkably popular a remarkable number of times. Mm-hmm. Aquaman is like behind Superman as the DC hero who's had the most amount of. Outside of comics adaptations. Really? Yeah, it's nuts. Wow. Aquaman's had something like 12. No kidding? Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's abs- – and you just you just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Aquaman's massive. Aquaman's massive. But like Green Arrow, his like the his book too, you know, between – once you factor 
Mike Grell and um, Kevin oh, Smith it, and even the, the Jeff Lemire run that just finished right. was like one of the most critically acclaimed things that DC were doing at the time. Really? Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Uh, and and oh God, I've forgotten the name of the artist. Andreana Sorrentino is that the name of the, the artist? He, he's now gone to DC. He's now gone to Marvel rather. And mm-hmm. there people as almost inevitably happens. People are like, where did this amazing artist come from? He's, <laughs> he's Marvel's fight of the year. And you're like, he's been drawing Green Arrow for two years, you guys. Um, what is his name? Andreana Sorrentino. Yeah, that's his name. Huh. Um, but yeah, he, I, I, I imagine uh, Jay Lee, but less gothy. And huh. that's what his stuff looks like. He wow. actually drew... Um, I Vampire. Do you remember the I Vampire series that Marvel did? Uh, DC did? I, uh, I, you know, that must the be Fitz where too. the name rings a bell, but I don't. I never read any of those books, which is kind of a shame. I kind of hoped that they would all be like on sale for like ninety nine cents, and or you know what I mean, or even less. Like oh, I really feel. That, I have to, Jeff. I have yeah. to tell you something, which sadly is going to be too late for our listeners, but I'm going to put it up on the the Wait What Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um. Midtown Comics is having a massive online sale for back issues right now. Oh, really? Uh, it's up to 75% off back issues. Holy crap. Um, and I, I think for the majority, it's like somewhere between 15 and 25%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the short version is, if you're looking to buy stuff online mm-hmm. uh, at a deep discount, mm-hmm. that, that is the place you want to go right now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I will keep that in mind. And I, I mean, will put that up in the, the Tumblr later on today. That that that'd be good. That'd be great. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I will keep that in mind. I'm much more. I'm. I the 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 amount of money that I've spent on digital comics this month has been kind exactly. Of, You're like screw screw comics where they send things to. You. <laughs> exactly. I'm. Like, I want uh, ones where you download them. Yeah. Exactly. Where it's like nobody has to know just how freaking financially overextended I am, you know? It's it's uh it's my preference. <laughs> hey <laughs> to, like, talk, to talking about digital comics. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. we all have also been talking for almost an hour. Oh shit. Let's actually get to the Avengers uh thing that that we are it's the one thing we have to do for the end of yes, the year. The absolute Jeff, this one is, thing. Yes. This is the last way of water of twenty fourteen. That's right. That's and right. I think I speak for all of us, you and I and all the listeners out there by saying, fuck you twenty fourteen <laughs> Fuck you and die. In the neck. I sort of feel like, really? I mean, I'm sort of relieved because, as you know, my 2014 has been a, 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 is kind of been like being punched in the nuts over and over again. That's what I'm saying. Fuck fuck you and die 2014. I'm so (laughs) glad it's finished. Okay, so for you too, or are you just because of your sympathy for me? No, for you, for me, for Kate. Mm. It's, it's been a, Bugger of a year. That's true. She did. She has had a shitter, shit, shitty ass year. Well, anyway, yes, listeners, please join us in saying goodbye to 2014 with a heavy sigh and, of relief. And and by saying goodbye, I'd like you all to raise your middle finger <laughs> and salute 2014 as it deserves to be saluted. <laughs> However, 2014 was the year where Jeff and I made the arguably suicidal decision. To reread or read, yes, three hundred issues of Marvel Comics now premiere franchise, mm-hmm. the Avengers, yes, um, in twelve months, 
it almost did us in at times. There were times where, let's face it, it was a slog and a half. <laughs> it really was. It really was. It it kind of, I have to say, reading 300 issues of Avengers, it it's like, um, it's like, it's like going on this trip with these enormous tires that you realize at some point are almost entirely square. You know, like it is just <laughs> not, it's like, it seems easy. And then it is so ridiculously hard for just huge chunks of it. And then suddenly you're like, oh, it's fine. You know, just because it managed to get enough traction to like, you know, move another divot. I don't know. It it was. It, it is amazing to see just not only how long did Avengers take to get going, mm-hmm. but how many times it then stuttered after that. Yeah, I think that's Avengers the thing. is a, that's is a type of, that you know because even the, the final issues of the of this last batch we read we mm-hmm. read the, the um, Mark Simonson issues. Oh yeah, um, fall apart for me so fucking like amazingly. It's like the book is built to self destruct. Oh yeah. Oh well, it is. I mean, so the thing that is interesting here for okay, so uh, well, I, I yeah, let's let's start with toward the end because. On well, okay, two weeks let's... ago, back when we were going to be talking about this on the podcast, I posted a whole bunch of um, sh- uh, panel excerpts um, of stuff that I actually quite liked from Simonson's run on the oh, Avengers. There's a, there's a lot to like. Yes. It's just that there's arguably more to dislike. Oh, exactly. That perfectly sums it up. Like, it's really fascinating to me how the Avengers kind of curdles between 250 to like 300 you know what i mean like here's the thing i think that it was actually doing great up until like 275 whatever right Mm. and then you get you you get the um the masters of evil storyline which which runs to like 276 277 yeah 277 that is the peak for me Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. What immediately follows is Saren's last storyline as solo writer, mm-hmm. where which is still dealing with the fallout of the Masters of Evil storyline. Yes, um, but feels very much like going through the motions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by bringing in you know. Her- so the plot is Hercules is uh, seriously injured and is kidnapped by Zeus and and that pantheon of gods, and the Avengers are kind of put on trial for what they've done as if they were responsible. Yeah. Um, but it seemed very familiar to me and very much like uh, when Stern brought in the Eternals earlier. Mm-hmm. As in like he's trying to be like, oh look, and there's a connection to this other Marvel franchise. Right. And it just doesn't seem organic at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it should feel very organic. You know, it, it literally comes out of what happened. Right. What a previous issue and all the characterization that had been set up with Hercules right up to that point. Um, And and it is – I don't know. It's kind of interesting because it's such a – well, anyway, I I have a theory because my thing is is that even as much as uh, I feel the book suffers – I want to say it suffers as soon as Stern walks out the door. But I'm not – yeah. altogether sure if that's a hundred percent the case it certainly gets markedly worse immediately and yet i also feel that well, 
Yeah. Bear in mind that Stern also plots right up until exactly. Simon comes on. Exactly. So the last storyline that you know, the storyline that's written by uh, Ralph Macchio that ends up being co-plotted by him, that is the fixer slash super adaptoid slash heavy metal, the team of all yeah, robot bad guys. Yeah, but also brings in uh, Machine Man, which yes. that that by the way is the, the storyline I jumped on Avengers with. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I remember buying the first issue of that storyline, mm-hmm. not like having not maybe never bought an Avengers book before, mm-hmm. uh, and it was enough to keep me coming back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way up through the end of the Simonson run, actually. I, which I can I can believe I can believe because I think there is a I don't know at least for myself the thing that that was the 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 virtue of. Um, Roger Stern's run, which really was like kind of, you know, it was like steak and potatoes Avengers. You know what I mean? It was. It's 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 uh an Engelhart that fits into Shooter's era. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very concerned with continuity, and, mm-hmm. and increasingly so in I would say the second half of his run, because mm-hmm. you get very specific shout out to what's going on in Simpson's Thor, what's going on in Grunwald's Cat in America. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you know, it's it's very much this book is the center of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to tie in with the Eternals. We're going to tie in with uh, the Greek pantheon of gods. We're going to tie in with you know this invasion that is happening in in Simonson's Thor, right? Um, in a way that Engelhart did for Marvel's past. Mm-hmm. But both both writers were were of the. The Avengers is the heart of the Marvel Universe. Everything yeah. should connect to it. But right. for Engelhardt, that was, I will show how Mar- this book is soaked in Marvel history. Right. And for Saren, it was, I will show how this book is literally tying in with almost every other plot that is going on right now. Well, I guess that's probably, well, okay, that's certainly true. Although I feel that, I feel that Shooter's Marvel was the idea, there was a lot of things that, were important to Shooter's Marvel. And one of them was this, like, yeah, continuity is important. Continuity is important in that way of, like, you know, you see a character fly past a window in one book, we're going to show it from the other character's angle in his own book, you know? And a, a lot of that, I mean, there's a really interesting, it's sort of how things lead up to, you know, Shooter's launch of the new universe is a little bit of the, the idea, a kind of deliberate it's not really a misunderstanding it's just a focus on specific values from the marvel universe that are arguably semi important you know what i mean like i think there's a lot of people who are like yeah continuity is important and you look at the avengers from this time but also a lot of the titles from this time you know it's very much because everyone's sort of a a very tight group you know you've got burns characters or burns ideas popping up in the avengers you've got because grunwald's editing it you know it's very up to date where captain america's going like yeah it, it yeah. really makes sense well, that simonson is going to come in and do the avengers because it's such a it's such a natural outcropping but what's really interesting to me is you. Mm-hmm. I I know you do this. You were reading the editorial notes mm-hmm. uh, from this era, right? Uh, uh, speeding through them, actually. So did was, you yeah. see? Did you basically see Stern and Grunwald talk about why he was leaving the book? Yes. 
Yeah, I did. And, and so, and so, Stern and Grunwald, uh, I I would arguably say more maturely than anyone would do these days, mm-hmm. basically come clean and say, uh, Stern says the editor wants the book to go in this direction. I didn't. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the editor. Right. <laughs> I'm off the book. Right. And there was a there wasn't a sense of like you know. I'm going to take my toys and go and strop about it. It was just very much like, this is what the job is. I don't want to do that job. Right. Um, but but it was, the Marvel Universe has this particular direction. And the, yes. we're, all, we're all going in this direction. And if you're not coming in this direction, then you're, you're not here. Well, very much the, I feel like there's the idea at which the, to me, and I could be completely mistaken, I, you know, of course, the 70s had a huge streak of the writer-editors, where basically dudes were editing their own books, you know, uh, that, that Shooter put an end to. But even before that, you had guys who were, at least if Sean Howe's book is to be believed, and I, and I think it should be, where these guys, even when they had different editors, it was kind of like, you let me do my thing on my book, I'll let you do your thing on your book. You know, and yeah. so it was the the whole idea that Stern's like, I'm not comfortable with this direction, so I'm leaving is very much both ends of that are very much a reflection to me of the Marvel that Shooter built, where, you know, his bullpen bulletins are always stressing the idea that these that everyone are just everyone who works there are just regular Joes. You know, with normal lives, who have dated, who are not nerds, you know, who have lots of other interests and are well-read, but they're also professional. They care about comics, but they're also professionals. And there's such a thing of, you know, this is this is what perfect this is what professional employees do. They listen to their boss, and the editor is the boss. And I feel that the other side of of Shooter's Marvel is creativity comes from the top down, you know, not the bottom up. And, mm-hmm. and that is, I mean, that really does that sort of ice nine reconfiguration I feel happens all the way through to where, of course that, that, you know, for Marvel and DC, it's ludicrous to imagine that it would be any other way, you know? Um, so to me, it was an interesting handoff in that regard. Like, you know, they're both being professionals about it because, of course, Stern himself, like just like Mark Grunwald, a lot of these guys would be editing one book and writing another. And they're all aware of sort of what it means. Like, you know, John Bur- John Cogburn aside, I think all of those guys knew kind of what it meant to be professional, you know, good company yeah, men. Exactly. And they were yeah. all kind of good company men. You know, and to me, reading the Avengers is a, it's like, it's like good product. It's like a good read. It, yeah, that, that's just it. And so mm-hmm. even when you get Stern's plots and, uh, Macchio's scripts. Yeah. There's, there's a dip in quality, mm-hmm. but it's still good or, or, or fine, or somewhere between the two. Yeah. It is still acceptable product. It's, it's still it's, an acceptable, enjoyable comic book. Exactly. It's still technically, like, you know, uh, head and shoulders above, you know, what was happening under Roy Thomas at his well, most uh, yeah. not give a crap That's just you it. Know. It's still better than 
the majority of Avengers comics in to date at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, uh, um, I'm inclined to agree. I, I'm, what, what's kind of amazing is you then get Simonson come on mm-hmm. for ten issues. Yes, and it's the weirdest ten issues. So it's the strangest ten issues. Do you feel like those ten issues because they are goddamn weird? How much of that was what Mark Evigny wanted to do? You know what I mean? Like, how much of that was like you, you how, mean Grunwald? Sorry, yeah. How much of that was Grunwald cut to Grunwald's order? You know, Evigny. Oh, I am. I am. I don't know. I I, I think that. There was definitely an element of the Avengers are going to break up so they can have a new Avengers team yes. in, issue, in issue 300. Right. Um, I think that Simonson looked at what was set up in previous issues. Yes. Um, because definitely the Doctor Druid thing doesn't come from nowhere. And neither does the Kang subplot. Both yeah, oh, those yeah. existed in Stern's issues. Exactly. Um, but the execution... Is 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 crazy, especially when you realize how much that he just left undone. I actually, and I don't know about you, but okay. So, listeners, in these ten issues, um, midway through, the Black Knight's cursed sword curse mm-hmm. activates, mm-hmm. um, and it it essentially sets him on a, a process of being paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, and becoming increasingly bloodthirsty. Yeah, this doesn't go anywhere in Avengers. Mm-hmm. He gets written out of the book without any resolution to this plot. Mm-hmm. But in his last issue, it basically says, "Go and read Thor." Because mm-hmm. so I went to read the Thor issues because mm-hmm. I, I my thought was honestly, did anyone ever deal with this plot? Mm-hmm. Did anyone ever close it off? Mm-hmm. And he's in Thor for like the next six issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that plot is continued, like, you know, he, he in the end, his, his last appearance with Thor, and this is fucking hilarious to me, is that he becomes so paralyzed, uh, but also so deadly, which is something that Simonson mentions in, in a, like, one panel, mm-hmm. that, that anyone who touches the Black Knight gets cut, because the Black Knight is becoming an extension of his sword. Mm-hmm. So his last appearance in Thor... Is that he is entirely paralyzed and then used as a weapon and thrown at a monster to kill him. <laughs> and that's it. You don't see Black Knight again after that in Thor. You just don't. He is literally thrown and you don't see him. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, what did he, where did he go after that? Right. That did not finish. Like that plot didn't resolve for another year. And did so in a Black Knight miniseries by Roy Thomas. Wow. So there was a year of people were like, oh, what the fuck are we doing with, with Black Knight? Right. The, the main plot of Simonson stuff didn't finish for another two years until he took over Fantastic Four. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, it is all set up for his Fantastic Four run in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another plot that he sets up and just doesn't resolve. Oh, Captain Marvel. Captain mm-hmm. Marvel totally, totally gets written out of the book. Well, okay. With, with, with like, it is astounding fashion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, what I think is fascinating to me is the idea that, that Simonson, to me, it feels like Simonson was 
either, you know, given a very loose outline or very tight outline of the stuff that was supposed to happen. And I kind of admire like un like to me reading those the the issues like 291 to issue 300 where essentially the team falls apart and gets reassembled. It's like it is very much like um like reading it was like, oh, oh, okay, I understand what Brian Bendis was trying to do with Avengers Dissembled. You know what oh, I mean? Yes, yes. But here's the weird thing about Simonson's issues. Mm-hmm. He drags that storyline out as much as he fucking can. Yes. To the point where, oh my god, it's so long. It's too yeah. long. Yeah. He still ends up two issues shy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you essentially fills in for yeah. 298 and 299. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. And, and it's just like, I mean, villains by the regular team, but they're essentially villains. Oh, they're completely, they're complete villains, and and almost ridiculously so. Um, I, I'm I'm really fascinated by by that whole streak of things because there was a certain amount of um. What, okay, there, there's another thing that I think is worth mentioning is you, you mentioned uh, a stern sort of his. You know, the steeping in nostalgia. The other thing, you know, that I thought, well, sorry, Engelhart's got the, the steeped in nostalgia, like, you know, Avengers history is the history of the Marvel Universe, and there's all these sort of secret things running through it. I, If you look back at Stern's run through Avengers, and again, I feel he's working hand in hand with this is what Grunwald wants, and Stern's very on board with this. There's a lot of powering down the Marvel universe, you know, in this hundred issues where it's very much like when something pops up that is a staple of the Marvel universe, it is almost certain that oh, there it's, is it's, going it's, to be a re- take it apart. Yeah. That there's going to, it's going to be revised and more or less dismantled. I mean, Wait, I, they, they totally get rid of the savage land. The, right. The savage land has gotten rid of the, uh, uh, gods from Olympus show up for this big mega storyline, and at the end of it, the gods are not allowed on Olympus anymore. The Eternals pop up and are, are pretty much dismissed. You know, the scrolls pop up for a huge mega scroll battle, at the end of which scrolls aren't allowed to change shape anymore. You know, like at every step of the process, there's kind of a, it, it, there's a certain, it's, you know, there, it's a little bit of the, well, there's company objectives. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of the, okay, we, everyone's been just a little too reliant on the savage land is like a concept in a place you go. And, and we just have to wrap that up. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, John Burns, very common sense edict that Superman has to be the only survivor of Krypton, you know? So it's very much that idea of like, there's so many crazy places on Marvel's earth we really need to like strip it back again, kind of that, like, because this is going to be the world, the, the heroes outside your window watching you while you're asleep. Yeah. You know? there, there's very much uh we have to put these toys back in our boxes. Exactly. Exactly. Let's come up with good ways to put them back in the box so that we can make our superheroes seem more super. And well, uh, do you really think it's making superheroes make more, be more super? Because if you think about it, you also have the masters of the, of evil storyline, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I don't want to say ground level villains, but you know, relatively depowered villains, mm-hmm. um, who fuck the superheroes up to such an extent that the book doesn't recover for almost a year. Right. 
Right. And so I, I'm not sure it's making superheroes seem more super as much as making the heroes seem more relatable. Could be. I mean, yeah, it could be relatable. Yeah, that could be the that extension of it. I mean, to me, it's just a little bit of everyone being like they're kind of, kind of coming up ways with like, okay, essentially realizing that you know, you take someone like Kirby and you put him behind Marvel and things just amped up and up and up. And then you got the people who followed him who took those ideas and tried to amp them even larger. And then at a certain point, everyone's like, you know what? This is, it's like trying to turn down the music. It's like a little too loud. Um, I thought the Masters of Evil, again, was just that storyline of, because let's face it, if there's one thing 300 issues of Avengers taught me, it's like the fucking Avengers Mansion is like the hostess Twinkie of the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? Like, you have got to have that shit. You've just got to get in it. You know what I mean? Like, the number of the number of storylines that are people invading Avengers Mansion, that after Avengers Mansion has been, like, you know, broken down, like the Wasp is in there protecting it from looters or something ludicrous like that. Like, like what the fuck with Avengers Mansion? Anyway, I feel like the Masters of Evil storyline is taking that, like... The we're going to break into Avengers Mansion, but like, and take it to its farthest end, which is kind of like, what if you had somebody who actually thought about it and got organized and did this, you know, and then, and then they're an actual believable threat, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I feel that that was just kind of like someone reading the Avengers being like, why didn't anyone ever get around to doing this story? This is a natural consequence of what would have happened. You know, if somebody actually took the time to try and plan a break into Avengers Mansion and then make the plan work for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, which, which isn't, which isn't to say that, you know, you're not right, that I think that there is a lot about the, the making the heroes relatable concept seems to be a big, big thing through Stern's Avengers. I just think that, you know, it's a, it's a far more ordinary place that is being made in across the 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 last hundred issues of Avengers. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely is. I mean, you get the uh, the Wasp quits as as leader, and this is when we should shout out the hilarious Wasp has a dream of the Avengers as corporate meeting. <laughs> uh, scene which you put on Tumblr, and uh, you should definitely include in the the post and wait what podcast. For, yeah, for this because it's it's amazing. Um, but so she quits, and you are like, who will be the leader? And you have the characters who have their own books pretty much say, I can't be leader. I've got my own book. Yes, which is is weirdly charming. Yeah, <laughs> you know when you have the the, the characters who do have the most experience. Say, oh, I'm really busy. Right. Oh, what? Do you, no, I, I can't do that. No, I, I've got other things I've got to take care of this month. Right. Well, I, that, I'm, sorry, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the things that I find super interesting to me is is that that again has that weird like, oh, it's Captain Marvel's time. Like she's clearly been built up as nothing but competent and has been in the team forever. And then it's very interesting that the decision is is that. Dr. Druid is immediately trying to undermine her and basically is able to succeed because nobody really has any faith in her, kind of including herself. You know, I think the thing that is interesting to me is when Simonson comes in, 
those last 10 issues are a lot more grittier and cynical about humankind than was anything that was rolling around in Stern's book up to that point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that Druid, while not seeming out of character, I mean, Simonson definitely gets, for example, the Black Knight is drastically out of character. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Yes. Yeah. And, and like noticeably to the point where you're like, that's weird. Yeah. Like, has, yeah. he, has he not read any of them? Any of them? Issues? Because the Black Knight he, was, yeah, he's doing that like, sounds, my sword does long for blood, you know, kind of thing. Like, really? You were just talking about like having a crush on like Janet Van Dyne and wishing that Mountain Dew didn't make your thighs look fat, just like an issue yeah, it's, ago. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hilarious because he does go from like, these wackos aren't going to get the job done to, <laughs> right. Madame, I cannot believe that you are not wearing the dress and the corset. <laughs> yeah, Simonson kind of came in there. He's like, I'm going to do it, but I kind of don't give a fuck. And that's what I think yeah. is amazing. Is like, well, that's just it. So, so you get that, but you also get uh, Druid being an outright supervillain. Oh, yeah. Like, almost immediately, all of his inner monologues are supervillain monologues. Yeah. yeah because yeah, yeah. they're all, why are people not recognizing my inherent genius? Yes. Yeah, totally. It's like, I will have of to twist I am this the strongest a little bit. one. Yeah, exactly. I'm the strongest one. No, Dr. Druid's amazing. Because I always thought it was like, oh, they bring him, they make him kind of an interesting guy, and then they kind of corrupt him. And it's like, no, Dr. Druid's a douche, like, from Jump Street. Like, yes, right? which is, but I kind of like him being a douche. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I love... The, the, when Stern's still writing and you get Stern being like, if only I could lead the team, it is very much uh but I can't. Mm-hmm. And also it's then immediately followed up with, what if I just fuck with She-Hulk for, yes. for shits and giggles? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Then, uh, but that's very different from Simonson, which is I will take over the team and I'm willing to kill to do it, to make it happen. I'm willing to kill to do it. explicitly says, yes. like, I am willing to kill to make this happen. Yeah. And then, like, and also, I will totally just fucking, you know, head fuck She-Hulk in order to make this happen, too. Oh. Like, oh, there's no camaraderie. I will outright possess her. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna possess all these people. I mean, like I said, it gets dark. Like cat, like Doctor Druid almost seems because there's that whole other world of like, and I'm doing it all because the imaginary vagina that I'm getting is so amazing. You know what I mean? That's the other fact that I find really I, 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 also readers, uh, listeners rather. Jeff's not exaggerating. <laughs> like it is, it it could not be more explicit. Yeah. That the entire thing that sets uh, Dr. Druid off on this mission is that he thinks he's going to get some from this random blonde lady that's in his dreams. Yeah. Yeah. That he keeps having these, like, mystical visions in which – and again, I'm like – and again, he's never suspicious of this, which I think is hilarious. Ever. It's great. It really He's like, is. what's that? I keep on having these visions of the same woman who's telling me to betray the team? Okay then. Right, totally. Totally. It's it, it's like it's just and, and again, the thing that's amazing is that Simonson arguably has more than enough time to make this to sell us more on the oh, moment. Oh god, yes. But he, he has the whole three issues of 
of Marina before that. Yes. Which is also, that's another storyline that is never, like, he literally just sets up and abandons. Uh, oh, yeah. So out of nowhere, Marina turns into an unstoppable whale. Yeah. It, it, a space whale that has to be killed by Namor because, mm-hmm. of course, why not? Um, but it also ends with, and she's had kids who are monsters and they just swim away. And mm-hmm. one of the characters even goes, but who's the father? Good That's luck right. getting any answer to that, people, because that will never be mentioned again. Right. And for that matter, Namor won't be seen again after this either. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really creepy. It's like, we're bringing back Namor in time for this issue. I mean, I have to say, I, I remember people giving Fraction some heat when he brought back um, Marina as, you know, Leviathan slash scary, you know, and, and then made scary oh, monster I, vagina I, I, jokes. Yeah. You I know? Also, understandably. But he had he had previous. Well, like, see, that's Burton, it. Burton did it and Simonson did it. Well, well, see, that's it. That's how she goes out. She goes out like a terrifying vagina de tanta, uh, you know, and it is. Um, well, she doesn't. She Would you say she's vagina de tanta in this? I think I, I would say there is a shit ton of misogyny in what happens with Marina. In yes. Avengers. But yes. I don't think it's that particular brand. It's hard to figure out what kind of brand it is, though. It's like a uh, weird... Honestly, do you know what brand I think it is? It's xenophobia? Male fear of pregnancy. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, think about it. She turns into an unstoppable whale with anger issues, and then she gives birth, Jeff. Mm, right. Yeah, it's not exactly I mean, it's not subtle. Like that, yeah. I'm just like, what are you talking about, Graham? But yeah, no, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. I really was kind of, again, I don't, like, is, are there interviews where basically John Byrne, like, talks about, like, he created Marina, you know, and then realized he, like, loathed her and hated her, and therefore wasn't he thought it was... Wasn't that the case with all of Alpha Flight? I, I, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. No, 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 you're absolutely... Has he not right. given interviews where he's basically like, I, I agreed to do an Alpha Flight book, and then realized I didn't like any of the characters. Mm, it makes sense. I didn't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that also makes sense. Um, huh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. It certainly reads like that, but... Particularly with the stuff with Marina, although really, let's face it, between Marina and Snowbird, like the John view, John Byrne view of women that sort of creeps through in Alpha Flight is kind of, I don't know, it's really, he's got a weird, he's got an interesting take. That dude has an interesting take on women. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. High understatement. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff's going to get into understatement. Yeah, exactly. Come back back next episode for his, maybe Jim Shooter should have seen a therapist. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe this guy should have been in therapy. I'm starting to think that maybe Chris Claremont is kind of into some bondagey type things. Maybe. I don't know. That's just, it's just a feeling I'm getting. I don't know. Uh, Also, if it involves the focused totality of (laughs) someone's, what is the focused totality of psychic force? I don't know. I don't Somewhere, know. Some is that, is like, that his favorite phrase? Jurassic fan is, is like, what are you talking about? It's totally... Yes. It's Psy- Psylocke's knife was always the focus totality of something. Oh, that must be why, because I stopped paying attention before Psylocke came around. Like, by the time Psylocke showed up, I'm like, oh, I, I totally... That moment, like, oh, I completely jumped off at the right issue. 
Um, so, uh, but I do think that Simonson, so Simonson disconnects the team without really seeming to give a shit about the team. I mean, and that's what I find fascinating about these, these 10 issues. Well, also, he then puts a team together, which, to be polite, is maybe the least, that is the the worst team ever. That's ever existed. Jesus Christ. I have to say, like, seriously, when Avengers 300 comes out and he builds a team of Gilgamesh, Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, Steve Rogers is the captain, and then there's one other character, like Thor. Hot Dog Thor. Guy. Thor. What? Oh, and Thor. Thor is the other character, yeah. It, it's – that's – I thought Thor was on his way out. It totally looked like it was like, oh, I'm just here to give the thumbs up to Gilgamesh and get the hell out of here. I mean it really is like – you know, readers, we dare you to hunt us up and try and punch us. Well, we dare also, you. Also, what's hilarious is he does that and then summons us off the book with the very next issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. hilariously like Simonson fulfilling his his contract and bailing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's it. I mean, so what's interesting to me is the things that Simonson can do well. Oh, we still have to talk about Nebula, who has no other power than her cosmic vagina. I mean, it is amazing. No, that... Nebula has lots of other powers in this. <laughs> Nebula can all of a sudden travel through time, make herself look like anyone else, control people's brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what ne- I'm saying. Nebula has, Nebula has every power that she needs for the plot, even though she her what she's doing is never explained. Oh, it's never they explained. Might, they might as well call it, talk about it as the ultimate MacGuffin. I, it's because she's like I, I need I need the Avengers right. to do this thing get this thing right. and no one's ever like what does this thing do she's like it's the thing and I need the Avengers okay just just fucking come on Avengers it's I'm Nebula I, come right. on right <laughs> well I mean everything about it is and vague it takes like six issues it, it takes forever it's, it's so it takes forever. long okay. Let's not forget, this is... Okay, first there's Nebula, who manages to seduce Dr. Druid with these fantasies that he's going to get such amazing vagina that he has to out, you know, completely betray the team. But she manages to dress in a Kang miniskirt and basically have sex with all of the other Kangs on the cross-Kang time council. Like, the not just the cream of the crop Kang wise, but the cream of the cream of the crop Kang wise. And every single one of them is helpless to the idea of about the idea of having a f- sex with a female version of themselves that they basically all give her their special super secret weapons. No, and then... but, but also they then almost immediately, as soon as she disappears are like, we knew she was up to something. <laughs> like, it, it is, it is the most, and, and Simonson is a great writer. Do you know what I mean? Like Simonson, yes. when he's on, mm-hmm. is amazing. I still think that Simonson's Orion, which fans are uh, should know, are coming out is coming out in a hardcover in March. Mm-hmm. All of Simonson's Orion stuff and is highly recommended. Um, I think that's amazingly good. I think it's the only fourth world thing that's even come close to Kirby. Mm-hmm. Um, but this Avengers run is. Uh, Witty Drek, but definitely Drek. Oh, it, 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 there's there's so many things that it, that Simonson is really really good at. Like he's really good doing like 
writing funny time travel dialogue. He's actually good writing like funny bitchy banner. He's really good at by this point, like all of his time on Thor, like the shit that he's having Thor say or the Black Knight say, like the Black Knight's curse, even though Simonson doesn't give a shit about it, it's it's written really kind of interestingly. Like it's interesting despite the fact that Simonson doesn't care about it, you know, because he's <laughs> actually awesome. You should read the Thor stuff. Oh man. Yeah, you really should. Um because it's one of those things cuz Thor at this point is Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Mhm. And they both clearly went into Thor being like, you know what's great? Jack Kirby. Right. You know what we should do? Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. And they do it really well. I've said this before. I think they do a really good Jack Kirby cover band on mm-hmm. Thor. Um, so you get the Black Knight and he's like, I am now speaking like I am from, you know, the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. I cannot move. I have to have this exoskeleton to have me move. And then they shunt it over to uh, Thor and you've got friends doing amazingly dynamic uh, Kirby poses with them. Right. Like, this is the guy who, his thought balloons would be like, I can't, I can barely move. And he's like, leaping <laughs> into action. Um, but you also have DeFalco writing everything in uh, Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. So he goes from, you know, when Stern was writing him, sounding like a contemporary guy. To Simonson writing him, sounding like he's from the Middle Age. To when DeFalco's writing him, sounding like he comes from the 1960s. Right. Right. And it is, it's amazing. Like, if you just follow Black Knight, it is hilarious. Oh, man. Man, that just sounds so sad. Um, so, so yeah, Simonson manages to deconstruct the Avengers and then, as an afterthought, assembles the worst team of Avengers ever. Oh, oh. but in the meantime... There's three issues, or in the process, there's three issues of Inferno tie-in, one of which features Jarvis. Oh, yeah. I don't think Jarvis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the all-Jarvis issue where he's beating up machinery. Amazing. And he gets a date. Yo, oh, yeah. Believe me. The the whole, the the all the weird, oh, the, that's so strange. So strange. Yeah, but, uh, but also, it kind of... Uh, Again, it makes you realize, oh, that's right. This is the point where Marvel is beginning to go weird. Yeah. Like when, when Inferno just comes in and takes over three issues of the, the title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's right. This, this is when crossovers are starting to be a thing. Yeah. This, this is when Marvel started to get untenable unless you were willing to follow multiple titles. Well, and, and again, there's also, to me, it was kind of that thing of like, oh, right. Like, I could be wrong on this, but I always assumed that Inferno was Louise Simonson's pitch for a crossover, and and I thought had been crafted by her and Walt Simonson. So there's kind of a... Well, Inferno is Claremont and Simonson, because it it runs through uh, Uncanny X-Men and and X-Factor. Exactly, exactly. So you have characters popping up in this where you're just like, what the fuck? Well, um, yeah, you definitely get the, oh, I, I forgot Walt Simonson was also drawing X-Factor at this point. Because exactly. the villains, uh, the villains of Avengers issue 300, out of fucking nowhere, are Nanny. Yes. And whatever her sidekick is called from X-Factor. Thank I, God I you explained nowhere. where they were. I was just like, who the fuck, like, the fact that they're not explained who there they are. There is an egg and a generic guy in armor. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, and then there's the shot where it's like the, the demon lords and like Sims popping up, which let's face it. How weird is that? You know what I mean? Like out of like, <laughs> there is major content, Marvel continuity that is built around the in joke of Dave Sim, Serpus yeah, the like, Aardvark. Yeah. I know. It's hilarious. Character. There's an entire fucking crossover built around that. Yeah. Yeah, just out of nothing other than, like, a bunch of guys taking the piss out of another guy who'd taken the piss out of them. Weird. Really, really odd. You know? It, they might as well have, like, built in the, like, not-brand-eck war, you know? <laughs> hey, for the listeners who have been following along with our Avengers read-through, yes. uh, they may think... And I think it's fair to say that we definitely think mm-hmm. that uh, as we headed towards the end of this 300 issues, mm-hmm. um, the book completely falls apart again. Yes. Yeah, I think so. To me, anyway, it's almost it's almost a complete – I mean part of it is is that Simonson is disassembling it, it, it quite consciously, which is not the case of what happens when it fell apart. Yes, right yeah, he's, he's, he, is purpose, he is purposely, as you can see by a house ad mm-hmm. in the first issue of his run, mm-hmm. uh, his run is being set up as he's ending the team. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So it's, it's not as if, like, you know, he just happens to be shit. Like, it's 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 intentionally that he, he was brought on to bring the team apart. Yes. Uh, but despite that as the plot, mm-hmm. I think also the the quality of the book mm-hmm. and and definitely the charm of the book mm-hmm. falls apart in his issues as well yeah yeah and and there's a lot to be said for his writing it, mm-hmm. it's not that his his work in itself is not charming yeah because it is but mm-hmm. it's it's just compared with everything that's come before yeah it's 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 a sad way to go but here's the thing speaking as one who then read the next 50 issues Right, you mad genius. Uh, I wish I could have made the time for that. I'm so envious. But it, it, it doesn't get better again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avengers, unsurprisingly, get back together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the quote-unquote magic of, say, Engelhart or Stern mm-hmm. never returns the title. Mm. That's not true. I, it arguably does when music comes on it and, and the title gets relaunched. Right. But... Definitely in the in the remainder of that original run of Avengers, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't because I stopped three fifty two, mm-hmm. and that's right in the middle of the Bob Harris era, mm-hmm. and that then runs straight into the Terry Cavanaugh era, which is Avengers: The Crossing with mm-hmm. Team Tony, um, yeah, which then runs into Onslaught, right, um, so. And I, I should also say, like, I've read all of these comics before, so I'm, it's not like I'm not, like, I'm just bad-mouthing comics I've never read. But <laughs> yes. Which would, what he, Jeff would be doing if he actually, you asked his But opinion. But the, the I, I, at least for me, the high points of the Avengers, the first mm-hmm. run, are very clearly Engelhart and mm-hmm. Stern. Yeah. Um, and that never returns in this run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and really leaves me with a feeling that... The Avengers is a book that, when it works, it kind of does so by accident. I was about to say, like that—that that seems to me the big point is like, so why is that? 
Like, why is it you have 400 issues? We've read 300. The number of issues that worked is only high because the people who could make it work did relatively long runs. You know what I mean? Like, they they did each did between 40 and 50 issues. Well, Englehart did, like, 40 issues, and then Stern did, like, 50 issues? Didn't he come in around – I guess not. When did he come in? No, Stern did about 50. Because yeah. he came in around two thirty. That's what I thought. I thought he came in around two twenty or so, but maybe yeah, he came in but earlier. He, but he sticks around until like two eighty five. Yeah, something like that. Well, sort of. I mean, because I no, think he does because he's... he because he he's his last issue is like two eighty four, and that... then he plots two eighty five through two ninety. Oh, okay. So the super adaptoid stuff. Right, right, right. Sorry, I thought that stuff was like two eighty through two eighty five. But you're right. That's clearly not. Because it's because it's Simonson right after it, like two ninety or two ninety one or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stern gives it a good long go. There's also something to be said. I don't know. Did you pay attention where like Mark Grunwald on the letters pages, the guy who's been like running his call his own editorial column for like years, basically is like, well, I'm leaving the book. And so we're just going to run it. Like, I won't have any editorials for you and uh, let's just run the letters and I'll see you. You know, that was kind of also this weird kind of passing of an era, you know, to me was like, Oh, like Grunwald's jumping ship, not too long after whatever, for whatever reason he and Stern, you know what I mean? Like kind of crossed, swords and then afterwards even though he won it kind of feels like he lost um so so maybe it's him too but why 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 such a low batting average why are avengers failures why are avengers tales failures so much of the time because it doesn't the formula doesn't work Mm -hmm. um in order for the team to quote unquote work to fill its concept, right? You have a team that's way too powerful mm-hmm. because it's not the Justice League. Like, as much as we were making fun of of Gardner Fox's Justice League earlier on, right? The Justice League was a book that was created to be epic adventures, mm-hmm. grand scope. Mm-hmm. The Gardner Fox stuff is magical thinking and ridiculous, mm-hmm. but it is you know impossible magical things are happening all the time. Right. Uh, and that's the opposite of the Marvel appeal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If the Marvel appeal is, hey, these guys are just like you, then you bring Iron Man and Thor, never mind the rest of the team, mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And they should be able to just finish everything. Right. Well, I... You know, I, and I, I, think, I think when you come up with an excuse for that not to happen. Mm-hmm. There's some weird betrayal of the Marvel promise. Well, yeah, maybe. Okay, I, let's put it this way. I say that, A, there is a betrayal of the Marvel promise in the Avengers, but that promise is that essentially the thing that Marvel made its bread and butter on, the idea that there is a continuity and that stories matter always trips up the Avengers in a way that it doesn't trip up the Justice League. Because essentially you have, you you know, it's a little bit of what, what Mark Miller goes on to say, you know, when he 
when he pitches the Avengers that, that, that Bendis ends up picking up. That idea of like, you picked up the Justice League and the Justice League were all of DC's biggest heroes and you got it for just one quarter, you know? Yeah. But with the Avengers, no matter how frequently you bring back Iron Man or Thor or Captain America, the idea is you can't actually have them do anything in the book. You know what I mean? They can't really grow. They can't really change because there's too much happening in their own books where half the time they're like, you know, in an on another astral plane, you know, or they're not even going by the same, you know, in the same costume anymore. Like it's not literally them in the armor, you know, all yeah. these things that are happening, like are happening in their title. And so you put them in the, in the Avengers book and with the exception of someone like, and this is what I think actually is why, part of why Roger Stern and Englehart are both good about it, is they are able to make their secondary characters, the nobodies in the book, interesting enough that you want to read about the nobodies for the most part. You know, it's like I really did care, a, God help me, about... Um, the Black Knight and his ridiculously ongoing frustrated romance, the unrequited love affair for the Wasp, you know, or even Captain Marvel's like, holy cow, look at me, I'm a hero and I can't believe what I'm actually seeing. This is so amazing kind of concept, you know, to, to Englehart's sort of masterpiece of like, I'm going to, I'm going to advance the, everything is going to hang on the vision and the Scarlet witch and with a good heavy dose of Hawkeye and, you know, Mantis and the swords, swordsman too. Like you're going to have four characters, all of whom their plots are going to drive the book and they're all going to change and grow and do different things. But yeah. basically you can't, any t any other time you take it away from that, people are like, ah, shit, what should I do here? You know, there's always kind of like half the stories are justifications for why the big heroes aren't in the book or why they shouldn't be doing something or how threatened they feel for absolutely no reason whatsoever, you know, and there's no well, there, growth there. there. And there's know? also, I'd argue, and I, I might be wrong, um, when other writers are at the helm, Mm -hmm. they go back to the core characters of Roy Thomas's run who aren't actually interesting enough to carry the book. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of Vision, you get a lot of Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and they don't do it. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Well, because I kind of feel that f my thing is is that you have Roy Thomas, right? You have Englehart come in. By the time that he leaves the Avengers... You know, the Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries that he does is more or less inevitable. But essentially, he moves both of those characters into areas that nobody really has any interest in after him. So part of the problem is every other t to me, every other time that, that those characters pop back up in Avengers, they are actually being retconned, you know? from that point on. Like there's so many ridiculous, I thought it was hilarious to hear that they are undoing Magneto as. Oh father. God. It's, it's just, I was just like, holy shit. Like that is, that is 
like, isn't that, isn't that the legacy? I mean, that really is like, talk about like the one thing that those characters need is a retconned, you know, paternity origin one more time. Right. Like unbelievable, unbelievable. So anyway, so my thing is, is I see your point, Grant, but I actually feel that the problem is very much that Marvel it's it's just more this idea of doing the Marvel heroes. You can't do it because you've because what's cool about them is the continuity, but there's no way you can make the continuity work. So you have to get rid of them. You know what I mean? And then you, like you said, you have the characters that people just don't care about. Sometimes that's you know going back to the Roy Thomas era. But frankly, there are like the amount of investment that I had, like when I talk about Captain Marvel and Black Knight is kind of minimal. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a little on the and the amount of time whenever anyone's like, "Oh, we're going to put Hank Pym back in there." It's always like, "Ugh, that's not that's not a good idea." <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> that's just... Hank Pym, you say. Ugh. <laughs> so, uh, I I think it's fascinating the idea that the essentially the only way to make the Avengers work quote unquote, is basically to sort of do what Brian Bendis did, which is the Avengers becomes the center of the Marvel universe and all everything that happens more or less comes out of that title. I mean, that's basically what he's doing, right? I, I, I well, say well, that with well, like, well, what, what he did, what, which yeah, what he did. actually leads right. me to something I was thinking earlier on this week. Mm-hmm. Um, is it just me or does the Hickman's Avengers feel very distant, for, distanced from everything else in the Marvel Universe right now? Even though the characters are actually appearing in all the big events. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Hickman's Avengers feels, and I know it's leading up to Secret Wars, so it's leading up to, like, you know, the book that is going to be at the center of the Marvel for the next year, mm-hmm. and for better or worse, and I, I swear to God, part of me is convinced it's going to be worse, and I don't know why. Um, but right now, for the last year, Hickman's Avengers feels amazingly disposable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could read "quote unquote" the Marvel Universe, and also get the Avengers characters in other books mm-hmm. because there's so many spin-offs and there's so many different books, mm-hmm. and, and and not have to read any of Hickman's Avengers books. Hmm. Which is weird. I feel like we've gone from Bendis making Avengers the book. Mm-hmm. For the Marvel Universe, the one that just sets the tone mm-hmm. to making it to Hickman essentially like sealing it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is the, this is the book in which I'm telling my story and I'm telling my story. Well, but I. Also, so even you get, you get right. the uh, original sin tie ins and mm-hmm. the original sin tie ins are like, I'm telling a different part of my story. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but I don't know. I mean, here's my problem is this is such a weird mix because on the one hand, I would say that Hickman's approach is exactly the approach that I would want to read. It's just having read it, I can't tell if it's like, no, I don't want to read it or no, I don't want to read it from Jonathan Hickman. You know, I mean, I, w- Hick- I would argue it's the latter. I, well, it is to me. I think you're right. I think it is the latter because one of the things that's amazing about Hickman is, you know, his all of his little master plans. You know, all of his PowerPoint slides are so modular that they don't they barely can connect with each other. You know what I mean? Like they connect, but like 
I've read like 12 they, they de- or 13. They definitely connect with each other. He's got a beautiful PowerPoint presentation. Right, exactly. I mean, he clearly does. He clearly does. All those pieces connect, but the, the amount of time in which in order to the, – the, the interstitialness of it, like it's, it's just like looking at – you know, a, like a person without a skeleton or something like, yeah, all the organs are there, you know, but it's just this blob. Like to me, reading those first 12 or 13 issues where it's like, oh, here come the makers. And, you know, even the like, okay, there's like these, you know, these bajillion bio bombs that like drop on earth and the Avengers kind of don't give a shit. And eventually it's like, Next issue, the Avengers pretend to give a shit so we can introduce AIM agents in, like, the mega jungles of Hyper Tokyo, you know? And, like, all of it sort of seems like it should be awesome, but it's all so clearly... It's kind of like watching this... This is it. I figured out the analogy that makes sense. Jonathan Hickman is unfortunately, absolutely, and totally, for me, when I read his Marvel work, the second season of Lost, hands down. It's, oh, God. It's, it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Jonathan Hickman. Oh, I mean, because it absolutely, it's all mysteries, and it's all connective, like, oh, how's this connected to the mystery? Oh, here's a new piece of the mystery. And then in it all but requires the characters to more or less wander off indifferent and not caring about it until it's time for that part of the plot to become active again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, and, and that's my problem of it. These characters are just astonishingly um, passive, even when in theory they're like, well, good news, I've been sitting in here with the lab and I figured out that, you know, this character is the night mask of another universe, you know, or whatever it is, where again, you're like, oh, great, where are you going to go with that? I don't know, because next issue, I've got an amazing story about a talking pig, how he teaches Hawkeye to love, you know, and it's just like, oh, really, Jonathan Hickman? So Your Avenger sounds great. Tell me about <laughs> <the> pig. <laughs> is it Spider-Ham? I can't, I can't give it, I can't give anything away. I can't give anything away. Let's just say that in it's the Spider-Ham universe, spider ham. it's, it's, it's the Spider-Gwen Spider-Ham. That's even better. So. Oh man. <laughs> you were so quiet. Like, I think you actually tried to imagine what a Spider-Gwen Spider-Ham might be like. That's why I'm saying, oh man. <laughs> I was like, how would that even work? And then I was thinking, so what you're saying is it's an alternate universe of that particular alternate universe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and then I just said, oh, man, because I think that's really what it deserved, first of all, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, Jonathan Hickman, second second season of Lost, where it's, it's all the mysteries. And in order to keep the plate spinning, the characters have to be like so, like horrifically indifferent to their fate in a way that it just suggests the opposite of heroism, I guess. I don't know. But that, again, I only read like, see, this is it. I'm like, but what do I know? I only read 12 issues. I'm like, I, I read 12 fucking issues, Graham. That was. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, it comes to a point where you. And that's a weird thing these days mm-hmm. where I, I was seeing a, a, a conversation happening on Twitter the other day where people were talking about uh, it's weird seeing certain books being named as the best of 2014 when they've had one issue out. They're like, you know, don't you want to see 
if it if it lives up to that potential. And someone was like, well, no, because an issue is an issue. Right. And, you know, if it's a great issue, then why can't it be the best book of 2014? And I think that's a weird thing where you're like, where people will be like, so you only read 20 issues? Well, you didn't read the whole thing, so you can't say anything. Right. And part of you, part of my response is always, well, I can. I read 20 issues. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've done enough of the homework right. that I can say, I don't like this. Well, I like, think... I, even if you have the greatest last-minute reveal, yes, I still didn't like 20 issues of it. Right. Yeah, I, I think this is one of the things that is – and it's funny because I feel like I should bring you – like one of the things that I didn't follow that you talked about with a lot of excitement and interest was Serial. And Serial, it sounded like your expectations for the finale of the show was much more in line with, say, reality, I guess, than other people's. <laughs> Wait, oh, I so I will tell you a story about this. Uh, I, as you know, and as people who have listened to this podcast know, uh, was a big fan of Serial, and I think I found it on like maybe the second or third week. Yes, um, and I was following it since, and I was completely into it, mm-hmm. very much into it. Um, and the finale came on, and it was it was to be honest, everything I expected in the finale, which is. They didn't solve the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it essentially ends with Sarah Koenig, the host, saying, "Like if you, if I was on the the jury, mm-hmm. I would vote to quit because I don't think there's enough uh, uh, evidence that he did it. Mm-hmm. But I can't say I can't make any definitive decisions about this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, this is this is where I've come with the reporting. This is what the reporting has done has meant for me. You know, this is where everything is." Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a good final episode. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I hope they do follow-ups because there's a lot that's still in, in progress about the case. And, and after 12 weeks, you do become emotionally involved with the case. You want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is a good place to stop. Fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that evening, I go to my favorite food cart in Portland, as mm-hmm. you know, Car Blanche. And they have outside, uh, you can get gift vouchers. And it's from Sarah Koenig, who's the host of Serial. To mm-hmm. Adna is their example. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's really funny. And they're like, did you hear the last episode? And I was like, yes. And they were, they were like, I, I'm so disappointed that, that they didn't say who did it. <laughs> and I was like, but the, like, uh, she didn't, she was never going to solve the murder. Right. It's, it's, it's real. She was mm-hmm. never going to solve the murder. If mm-hmm. she solved the murder, we'd know by now. Mm-hmm. There's no way that they would keep that under wraps until the end of the show if she actually fucking solved the murder. You know, like, but but the person I was talking to was was legitimately like, yeah, I I didn't quite get that. Mm-hmm. She was like, I I I just I expected there to be an ending, mm-hmm. and you could tell that she was not betrayed exactly, but definitely mm-hmm. kind of let down mm-hmm. that that they didn't finish with. It wasn't Adnan. It was Jay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that you know. I can now tell you, dear listener who's invested, you know, 12 weeks of your time, right. that it was definitely Person X. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there was a couple of things fascinating about it. One, that she, I think she expected something like that. Right. And two, that she felt, she clearly felt a little bit duped. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I feel that there is kind of, anyway, serial for myself, I've been very fascinated to hear your thoughts about it because I have heard people talking about their disappointment and being let down and other people who are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Don't you know how reality works? You know, and for me, I'm kind of fascinated to the way in which, like, I feel like as comic book fans, arguably, we are the most experienced with trying to measure out the issue by issue value of a piece of story weighted against the payoff. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and yet I kind of feel like that's me just being sort of, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, overly uh, optimistic that that frankly all of us no matter what the story is like w if you break it into parts and segments you're you're always tr in your head you're always having to trade measure the inherent value of the piece of the thing as opposed to the greater whole that is being assembled you know, because part of the joy of it is the fact that it is not being assembled like immediately in front of you. Although I feel like TV binge watching kind of is, is like that, you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me and it's, it was interesting to me the way in which I felt like serial just by starting with the story of a murder, you know, was going to have that like that really is the most compelling immediate kind of story. Like it is very hard for people to hear stories about murder mysteries and not have them resolve. Like it's why everyone like lost their shit about twin peaks, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. and everyone was like, Oh, don't worry. We're going to, you know, ABC was all, all up and down the place with like, don't worry. You, we're going to absolutely reveal the killer, killer of Laura Palmer. So we're not going to let this go on any longer. And I, I was just like, A, it's clear that's not what the people who making the show care about. And B, look at real life. Like, look at the number of murders that never get solved. You know, yeah. it's so funny. You, you talk about Twin Peaks. I was reading the uh, the oral history of Twin Peaks. Mm. Uh, oh, it's a book mm -hmm. called Reflections. Right. Um, and it's very upfront. Like everyone, with the exception of uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost, mm -hmm. everyone's like, they not only didn't know who killed Laura Palmer when they started, they didn't care. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like that, that was not what the show was about. That mm -hmm. might have been the hook, but that was not what the show was about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Completely. Uh, you know, which makes sense. Like, you watch the show, and it's clear that it doesn't. But the fact that what people got hooked on... I mean, I do love Twin Peaks, because I was there when it was on TV. I went to fucking parties where people ate cherry pie, you know? And it was clear... <laughs> I, I totally remember watching Twin Peaks when I was on. Like, I, I remember mm -hmm. the excitement about Twin Peaks. Yes. And it was a huge excitement. But what was fascinating to me were the different camps in the sense of there were the people who were excited about it because, because of how different, like sort of like the, Oh, they're never going to solve this mystery kind of concept to the people who are like, Oh my God, this is amazing that they're going to like, I can't wait until they solve this mystery, you know, 
and the people who are in between. Like, the people who really kind of, like, just bought into it at a very visceral, like, oh, I like eating pie. I like talking about coffee now. And then the people who were much more intrigued by the way in which, um, you know, TV was suddenly being wrapped to a very unique form of personal expression and how people were responding to it. I mean, it was just really just kind of an awesome, awesome little thing. But, um, something else that's fascinating about that book is, uh, a, a glimpse into just how fucking chaotic it was in the second season mm-hmm. and that nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. And so you have, I mean, it, it explains like getting all the gossip explained many things for me. Mm-hmm. That never made sense as a viewer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like Audrey Horn's character development, which yes, in yeah. the second season, never fucking made sense. Yeah, um, and and the the fact that this show does feel absolutely insanely adrift after they they do after they solve Laura's mm-hmm. murder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you read the book and you're like, oh, they they were. Mm-hmm. Like they all admit, looking back now, that they had no fucking idea. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating. I mean, having said this, I know you've mentioned the book before, Graham. This is the first time that I actually turned around and was like, "Okay, what the fuck am I doing?" And just ordered it while we were talking because clearly, clearly, I should have been spending my hun- holiday money on it. You know, much well, sooner than this. I, you know, as as I was going to say, the alternative is you sign up for the Kindle Unlimited for a month for free, and then you can read it that way. Oh, right, that was your advice. That always struck me as a little too pragmatic, Graham. Sorry, I just decided to <laughs> to all in with my craziness. Yeah, exactly. I was like, why would I want to pay money for it when I can actually get it for free? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <sighs> oh my goodness, Graham. Oh my goodness. So yeah, um let me tell you. So so yeah, short version, everyone. Yeah. Uh, Avengers is a book that should work but doesn't because the concept is really sort of self defeating. Uh it works a couple of times in the first three hundred issues and arguably the first four hundred and two or however many issues the, the first run is. Mm-hmm. Um and almost by accident. Yeah, by by well, see, I, I don't know. You keep saying by the almost by accident. I think that it is okay. A... Uh, not by intent of the editorial team. However, that <laughs> I think I think that it works. It is the writers getting away with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, uh, yeah. I I I I guess I guess I'm inclined to agree. For me, it's just more the idea of. Yeah, the Avengers is is a book that is built by preconceptions, issue by issue. It's it's really I don't know. Be curious when we dig into Fantastic Four because I'm sure that's Fantastic Four. That's even more so. But what's fascinating to me with the Avengers is how much it was like even after the first hundred issues, which, as you and I have said, apart from a few bright spots, was largely pretty terrible. Um, but so much of the templates set for those first hundred issues that the people who follow in it, those footsteps continue to do it. So there's kind of, by the time you get through 300 issues, there's another number of preconceptions about the Avengers that is so weird and wrong. Again, like I'm saying, the fact that anyone thinks that the idea of the event, like you take a team, you call them Avengers 
And then you try and explain to the person who's heard that title that one of the ongoing tropes of a story about a bunch of people called Avengers is about people trying to break into their house and steal cool stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... And another of the ongoing tropes is the problem they have with middle management and government authority. Yes! Right! Exactly! (laughs) Exactly! Like, that is... There is such weird shit. Like, oh, well, the Avengers, they, they avenge stuff, right? Hardly ever. There's almost no avenging going on. But there is a lot of bureaucracy, and there's a lot of very iffy sexual politics going on. Very, yes. very Yeah, that's true. The Avengers is a wonderful book if you want to study the, um, shall we say, flawed sexual mm-hmm. politics of uh, Marvel writers from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah, yeah, because even by the time you get to the 80s, it's like, ugh, I don't know if we've really come a long way at all, because, yeah, fascinating, really fascinating stuff. You know, despite it being my little progressive mother's milk that, you know, taught me to be a, a big hippie liberal. I'm I'm looking back on it. I'm like, how? <laughs> how did exactly. that happen? How did, how did that actually happen? Yeah. And, and it's, it's apparently Jeff is really good at believing that people are doing what they say they're doing, as opposed to Jeff being a good enough reader to see what they're actually doing. So that's on me. Well, that's, that's fine. If if misunderstanding it led you to be a better person, then God bless you for misunderstanding it. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thankfully, you didn't learn the the practical lessons of Jim Shooter. Oh, man. Well, but again, this is the thing. Like, you know, Walt Walt Simonson seems like a pretty progressive dude. You know, uh, you would think. That's true. And that, yeah, and his, his run is as appalling. Yeah, creepy. It's cre- It's also amazing. Sure, we didn't really, we didn't really touch on that. But yeah, his run is has got some seriously fucked up sexual politics in there as well. Yeah, exactly. And again, it seems to be kind of weirdly built into, I, I maybe the way that Nebula was described to him. I don't know. But but again, it goes. It cuts all the way across. It. It's just. It's very. Mm, uh <laughs> Jeff creeped out. So, um, yeah, I don't know. The the Avengers really ended up being not what I expected that it would be in so many ways by by really just being – let's put it this way. When it came time for Bendis to, to turn around and he's like, and I'm totally going to recreate the Avengers, I kind of see what he might have been thinking of and what he was going for and can even see why it was a good idea. Whether or not I thought his execution – was enough that's i think that's something different and frankly i'm dying part of me really will jump ahead and read those busiek issues because i think that busiek could do a great job taking all the stuff that i appreciated about these 300 issues of avengers and kind of doing it you know Right in sort of a, you know, if not at Englehart levels, then certainly at sort of Roger Stern plus one levels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I, I'm, I, I, I'd be really curious to, mm-hmm. to see what you say in part because I think Music Run is really good, but I also think it has a terrible opening. The, oh, yeah. the, the, the first storyline mm-hmm. just did not work for me. 
Mm. It's the point where, like, I, you know, I heard so many people be like, this is it. This is Avengers. And I was like, I love Avengers when it's done right. And then I started tweeting. I was like, this is not my Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> like, almost immediately afterwards, it, it does pick up. But definitely, it, it uh, it's a rough opening for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. What, uh, why exactly? Or is, is that is that? It's a, it's a time travel the characters aren't really their characters. Oh, Sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's maybe not. It's interesting because as as opening gambits go, I almost feel like on paper it seems like such a good gambit, you know, because you're kind of like the characters are wrong, but there's a reason why, um, you know, and so it. Well, I, I totally, I totally see the it gets to the core of the characters. What well, doesn't change when their circumstances are changed? I totally right. get that. Yeah, but. I also have this, but I don't want them to be changed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I really, That's I not really... what I want. <laughs> so, Graham, I assume this is our last podcast of the year. Is there anything we should really wrap up with? It is definitely our last podcast of the year in that when this goes live, the year will have three days left to it. Uh, well, so you're saying you're not going to sneak in an extra one under the wire. I'm saying that's not going to happen, Jeff. No. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. When this goes live, I'm going to be rapidly trying to finish up the work I have to finish up for the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, as as quickly as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a race I for the finish to... line over the last... Yes, I will, not, I will not want to be working any more than I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is there anything I want to finish up? I, I, I'm curious, Jeff, from you. We did... Our books of the year last last time. Yes. Uh, what are you What are you expecting from 2015? Man, I don't know. I, that's actually a really good question um, because I feel like when I started 2014, like a good example was I because because of the way Marvel was treating the Kirby estate, I was not buying Marvel books. Like, so technically, that is been removed as an actual uh, uh, the the boycott is lifted. So in theory, I kind of feel like, well, it's 2015, the sky's the limit. And yet, I find that for myself I'm so comfortable in my little weird behind the times world, kind of, where it's like, I see myself continuing to buy a lot of image books um, you know, on day and date in print and then talking about those with you on the podcast, the occasional DC book. And then, and then a lot of stuff like a, a lot of old comics, like a lot of reading a lot, either if that's part of me is like looking at the books and stuff that I've read that I've purchased. I'm like, I bought a shit ton of digital comics that I really need to sit down and read and catch up on. And if I wanted to, in a way that could, that could easily take, that could be all of, yeah, that could be your year. Exactly. Between that and doing the fan, the fantastic four read through that we're going to be starting up. It's like very easy for me to sort of just think that, you know, that, that I'm going to be in this kind of weird, outside the zone, you know, and yet, and yet, uh, even though I don't necessarily have to. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around that, I guess. 2015 is, is, I feel like there's been like the various, 
a lot a lot of things a lot of things have moved on the playing field but i don't necessarily i don't even instead of looking at that and trying to come up with a new strategy for comics i'm finding myself even more in this thing of like well i spent a lot of money on that dynamite humble bundle maybe i'll just read you know 15 to 20 issues of you know jim butcher's butcherology and then we can you know, and then I can rant about how terrible sorry, it is. I'm sorry, Jim the Butcher's Dresden Files. Get oh, it right. Yeah. I was. <laughs> you Come can on. see how much I really cared about it, Graham. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I mean, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Jordanology is what I was talking about. Sorry. I can't even remember what that one's really called. God damn it. <laughs> Wheel of Time? Is it Wheel of Time? Yes, it's the Wheels of Time. Very good. Okay. Thank you. Um, How about you? Oh, what do you man. think? What do you think? Uh, has I to... I am expecting this year to be. I'm expecting this year to be nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting 2015 to be absolutely crazy. You've got Mar- uh, DC moving, mm-hmm. and inevitably going for some sort of relaunch uh, midway through the year. Uh, I think Convergence is going to flop horrifically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to make a lot of people really nervous. Um, I think Secret Wars has the potential. Secret Wars is going to decide Marvel's future as a publishing company for the next few years. Hmm. Because either it tanks mm-hmm. or it's a massive, massive success. And I really don't want it to be a massive, massive success. <laughs> um, not because I want like people to fail. Mm-hmm. But because I think it's a massive, massive success, it's going to like just mean more of that sort of thing. Well, okay. Just out of curiosity, isn't unless I'm mistaken, wrong? Provided that li- Marvel is not lying to us, like they have, like the last nine million events, Hickman's Secret Wars actually seems like a big event that he's had in the cooker for a while, and he's built. All of his oh, yeah, the, the, yes, this is, towards, this right? is the culmination of Hickman's runs on Fantastic Four and Avengers. Yeah. So, I mean, although it is a big universe-wide event, it is actually a big universe-wide event that was not – that didn't fall out of someone's butt at the last Marvel creative retreat and was left on the whiteboard for three years like Original Sin or Fear Itself, right? Sure, but that also doesn't necessarily make us good. No, no. I well, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, assuming that I mean, why would, would oh, are, the are success you of Secret Wars be any worse than say if like because, original because sin has been a rampant success? The, the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's going to be massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be. All the Marvel books tie into it. Yes. I think it's going to be... Because they're already talking about, like, merchandise and, and tie-in material. You've got the... I mean, they're milking the fucking brand. They're, they're re-releasing a fucking sticker album for $25. <laughs> um, that's not a joke, Jeff. I know, I know, I know, which is just amazing to me. But I do have to say, like, isn't Secret Wars, though, I mean... Uh, or, or is it, is, I mean, you can't really say that it's, you know, betraying the original Secret Wars concept. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm not saying that there is some artistic purity in the original Secret Wars, yeah. which, let us remember, 
is the most cynically created comic ever yes. in that it's created specifically to sell toys that were specifically created because the toy company didn't get the DC license. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can get more cynical. Um, I don't know. There's there's something about Secret Wars that I find genuinely like, oh God, I am terrified of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to flip that around, for some reason, I keep hearing rumours that Al Ewing is going to replace Jonathan Hickman as Avengers writer oh, after wow. Secret Wars. And wow. if that's true, I am all about that. Yeah, that's a great rumour. Um, um, and I, at first I thought it was just wishful thinking, but I've heard it from like three or four people now. Really? Yeah. Um, so that, that would be great. I'd be mm-hmm. really happy about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm... I'm hoping this is the year that, let's see, Image starts to live up to its own hype. Mm-hmm. I am hoping that it's the year that I find a good balance between reading the books that I have to read for my work and reading things I enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that when DC does its relaunches that they actually remember that there's a variety of material or a variety of ways to do the material that they need to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sort of uh, sounds like, isn't the idea behind the DC relaunches is that they're looking for stuff that's a little more, a little closer to like the new Batgirl or Gotham Academy, like well, stuff that's, you know, we'll, we'll see. That's right. definitely, that, put this way, that's definitely a report that appeared in Bleeding Cool. <laughs> you know? Yes. So. Take that with as much salt as you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm I would like to see a better year for comics than 2014 was. I think mm-hmm. 2014 was ultimately a pretty conservative year from everyone involved. Um, with with you know occasional standouts, but mm-hmm. not as many standouts as I would like because I am selfish that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see more people pushing themselves a little more. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's funny. It's like when you start into. The, I'm like, oh, you're talking about what you want to see. Oh, well, that's totally different. <laughs> but no. But I, I'm kidding. I don't really think. I mean, I think you're right. I think that image, image has come a long way, but it is it has fallen behind its hype. It would be great if it if it does sort of break through that extra barrier, I think. Um, Look at the bright side. We got through the entire podcast without bad-mouthing the, the image comic that we were bad-mouthing an email. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Right. Which exactly. apparently is a, uh, really wrong on our part. Like, there was a ton of people who were like... like oh, it's, it's, apparently, it's apparently... It. Yes, it's apparently one of the greatest comics of the year. Yeah. Yeah, by people and, who, and, 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 yeah, by, by people who... <laughs> you know better, right? Exactly by people that I would otherwise trust, and so therefore oh, I'm talk, like talking hmm. about that sort of thing. Um, we also, thankfully, because we are past two hours, and I really have to get off the, the phone soon. But um, uh, we also go through the entire podcast without me launching into my if I see another article that says 2014 a year that woman won comics thing, I am going to turn the internet upside down. <laughs> I, that those stories, man, they have been. Killing me. Twenty fourteen, the year that feminism came to comics. Really, really? <laughs> Are you saying that because like Ms. Marvel was a success? Are you saying that because Spider Woman got a new costume? Because it might just be me. I remember that fucking Milo Minara Spider Man Spider Woman cover. Yeah, yeah. 
um, but I think, and I could be wrong, that that I think there's a case to be made for. There was um, don't get me wrong. There was a sea change yeah. in culture this year, yeah, 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 which yeah. is great. But mm-hmm. anyone who goes from there is change and it's slow and not far enough to the year the woman won comics. Right. Fuck you. <laughs> as soon as you start, you know, it's, 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 I totally get why it's hyperbole because right. that's going to get all the clicks. Right. You're like, if you had a headline that was more honest, like a year where some changes were made and it's not really enough, but it is optimistic and hopeful for the future. <laughs> No one's going to click on that. I don't know, Graham. I, I yeah, definitely sure. think. Like if, yeah. if you have a 2014 was the year that feminism came to comics. It's just, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, that that's been my that's been my thing recently. And also, hilariously, I've been talking to um, various comic professionals who don't work in in like superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to that, and they've been like. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, what about manga? What about, like, art comics? You know, you know yes. women have been in comics for a long time. This yeah. this is offensive that people are going, women discovered comics this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. It's hilarious. People, are, it, in the, the hype of, you know, let's make completely hyper, hyperbolic statements to get a clicks, like... Uh, they, those writers have been pissing off people who otherwise would be their allies. Yeah, <laughs> and it's but kind of fascinating I, to me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm mostly okay with that because I do think I, I don't know for myself. Considering my great flaw here is the amount I, I think we're better. We're even better than some. But we, you know, we have a ten- – there's just that huge tendency for a lot of people when they talk about co- – like, this has happened oh, in comics. Oh, like, oh, they yes, clearly comics. mean the big two. West, Western, Western superhero comics. No, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, exactly. So there, there is, a, to me, a lot that's, that's – But I, I, think, I think when you make a grand sweeping statement about this happens to comics, mm-hmm. you have to have some line in there where you hedge your bets. Have to when you say specifically what you mean by that. Yeah, I agree. But but of course, I'm sort of also like, but it wouldn't surprise me if that shit hadn't been edited out. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of that thing. I understand why you're frustrated. I've even understood in a way when I see some of the people that I follow on Twitter uh, evince frustration about it. But there's part of me that's like, you know, there have been. Thousands of articles with the title "comics" in in you know in it, wow. and Bang. comics aren't for kids anymore, right? Well, at, right, and they are completely overlooking you know m- manga or web comics or you know what I mean. Like it's just it that's just kind of this weird standard, you know. Um, I don't think that it's great, but I think that it is, you know, to call well, people it's, on it. It's at totally this point. understandable, mm-hmm. but it's also well. Here's the thing that's funny: it, there are stories that are championing uh, diversity mm-hmm. while being uh, inherently exclusionist. How do you mean? By uh, by discussing. Like, you know, comics used to be X, but now they're Y. Right. But in themselves, making a reductionist uh, 
idea of comics mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. keeps other people out. Huh. Interesting. Uh, I, 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 here's the thing. I, uh, I find it. I'm trying to think of the good way of putting this. I find it amu- like cynically amusing as opposed to like I am angry, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh-huh. Like it's one of those like, oh, god damn, that is funny and at the same time very frustrating as opposed to, you know, someone should get fired. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there, there's different levels of getting frustrated, I guess. Right. Yes. Well, and I think that's it. I mean, I, I definitely – part of me would be happy or – hmm. I guess I guess that is the thing about 2015 is is the things that I've generally been pretty happy with in 2014 are kind of the gimme is ending. Like th- 2015 is kind of a year where it would be great if this shit really made substantive inroads, you know, in, yes. in this yes. in the sense of like yeah, image doesn't just say that it's doing incredibly great different diverse stuff and selling well in the marketplace that it actually really does do that as opposed to being you know lifted on high waves of new speculators who actually just have a lot of extra money because they cynically played into marvel or dc's latest cynical equally cynical marketing plan you know or yeah if there is if the diversity means that you have you have characters, you have people who are writing progressive books who aren't actually having to issue like letters of apology two issues later, or, you know, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of things like, I want to see that happen. You know, Marvel has done, you know, it's, I'm used to Marvel doing a lot of launching a lot of stuff and then more or less canceling a bunch of stuff the next year. I'm hoping that, that we're going to actually see it, see them continue to keep their gains. Um, my big fear is just that like looking at the number of sales for that star Wars number one, that worries me more than secret wars does. I think because, Oh God. Yes. Cause it's so fucking high. Yeah. It's so fucking high that it's just, I don't, I don't think that it's going to break the marketplace because it's just one issue. But the, the fact that it more or less justifies all of the horrible, cynical marketing that that marvel does in the marketplace you know and pretty much gives them a big thumbs well, and, up and also it. the whatever 55 uh variant covers yeah exactly 55 variant covers is is not it's that's just not a sustainable market model you know and yet the fact that everyone's looking at it like well you know like they're like you know Clearly, this is the one time where everyone thinks like, oh, this is this really is going to work. You know, this isn't like Uncanny Avengers where they offered me so much that I literally had no choice but to 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 acquiesce to it. This is something that the marketplace really thinks like, yeah, I can sell a lot of copies of this. I'm a little worried about where that marketplace ends up six or nine months down the road. You know, but on the other hand, I'm not quite sure. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things of like. Are comic books going to end up being more or less four ninety nine by the time that we get to the end of next year? I can't imagine it, and yet it really does seem like. Doesn't it seem like it's on the horizon soon? Uh, yeah. When you say comic books, you mean some comic books, like all comic books aren't going to be four ninety nine. No, no, all comic books are not. But but 
do, do I, I wouldn't think be surprised that, if all I wouldn't be surprised if all comic books are three ninety nine or above. Well, I'm I'm a little more worried about the idea that you know, as DC, both DC and Marvel are interested in making some of the you know, seeing how regularly they can put out a forty nine four ninety nine issue, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether that's with the with Batman, at, you know, before Scott Snyder talked them out of pricing that high, or whether it's some of the other rumors that Marvel might have for you know. Four ninety nine books up their sleeve. I, I'm, I, to be fair, I'm actually super curious because if if it's four ninety nine and it's longer than the average comic, mm-hmm. part of me's like, okay, because like multiversity is four ninety nine every month, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm I'm buying multiversity, you know. Sure, I am. Exactly. And also, and also, and I'm not having any problem with that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in my mind, like, it's a special. Right, it's a special thing. It's and it's it. You know, depending on which issue you get, it can be a very, very dense read. But anyway, I know that you actually have to be going super soon, so I think we should. I I just looked at the clock. It was like, oh shit. Yeah, sorry about that, (laughs) everyone. You are man. We end twenty fourteen as we started it with both of us uh, labbering randomly and completely losing track of time, which I think. It's what you all come here for, listeners. Let's hope so, because it's certainly, apparently, it's what you're getting. What you're going to get. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the way we we'll promise. <laughs> We're still going to be doing this wrong. Exactly. You're looking for a podcast that's organized. It's not us. No, God. But if you're looking for a podcast that gives you two and a half hours every two weeks, yes. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you very much. <laughs> Um, everybody, thank you so much. We are deeply indebted as I, uh, to the people, fine people of Patreon who I actually haven't looked. Can you, can you give me, cause of course I, because I've cleared my browser, I'm like, fuck, where, how many people do we have following us? Um, just uh, like I'm, two. Is it two? Okay. That's a relief. We're it currently is eighty-eight. I'm at $477 and 50 cents per month. Thank you. Very, very much, people. Yeah. Um, you you make all of this weirdness possible. And yes. We're very grateful, even if you might be regretting it, even as you listen. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, feel free to uh, look for the show notes uh, over at Wait What Podcast. I'll have them up. God, I'll have them up no later than Tuesday morning. Uh, hopefully, I'll have them up by Monday, although that's going to be... That'll it's be- the holidays, people. If we're slightly off, please forgive us. The, yeah. the thing, shit is crazy. Yeah, shit be cray. So, um, uh, yeah, feel free to drop us a line at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Look for us uh, at uh, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com, where Graham put up some amazing Christmas co- comic book covers. Um, but, of course, when you hear this, you won't care about that. Christmas will be over. I'll come up right. with something to do in January. God knows. God knows. Yeah, that huge swath of Arbor Day uh, <laughs> comic book coverage. Remember when Captain Marvel just celebrated Arbor Day like 10 years every every single January? <laughs> it was like, fucking Arbor Day, Shazam! <laughs> the worst part is, I don't think Arbor Day is even in January. I have no idea. Arbor Day. Come on, internet. Tell me when Arbor Day is. April 24th. Yep. You lied to me, Jeff. I know. I felt bad that you ran with that. I'm like, ah, damn. 
Graham. Don't listen to me. It's like president's birthdays and shit. Tops. Anyway. I'm, I'm, Wikipedia is about to tell me. Let's see. January 1st is New Year's Day. Oh, do you know January is National Thank You Month? <laughs> oh my god, that makes me so happy. Um... Let's see. Coming of Ape Day in, uh, in Japan on the second Monday of January. I'm sorry. Um, coming thank God. of Ape Day? Is that what you said? Coming of Age Day. Oh, coming of Age uh, Day. Huh. Yes. The uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day, January 11th. I, oh, no. I literally did not know that was a thing. Um, Public Day in India, January 26th, which Graham. is also Australia Day. Yeah. Graham. Graham, you're literally starting to buzz and hum. <laughs> literally 6.15 when you said you have to leave. That is hilarious. People, thank you very much for listening. Uh, normally we tell you where we are on Twitter, but I'm sounding like a bee, so that's not going to happen. Instead, I will say, Happy New Year. Bye! Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank- Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>